0: doesn't sound the same when I say it. How come Ian can say it, but I can't say it? What the fuck? But here we are, another podcast episode. We have Alex Hollings lined up as a guest, uh, you know, longtime writer for news Rep, and also he's writing at the Loadout Room, doing a little bit of both. Um, starting off with some sad news, actually, following up on um, our previous podcast with Greg Walker where we got into the history of the um, Green Beret, uh, Dave Baez, who um, defected and became a Sandinista uh, communist down in Central America during the 80s. Um, That was a bulk of that interview, but we also talked to Greg quite a bit about um, mental health care and um, the suicide crisis that we have amongst uh, many of our soldiers. And uh, I got some sad news the other day from a previous uh, guest on the podcast named Lee Tuttle, who is a Army wife. We had her on to talk about um, some of the, the poor health conditions in uh, on post-housing. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that episode. It's an important episode. Um, her and Crystal, two, um, an Army wife and a Marine wife, and they came on and talked about um, just the problems with black mold and the unresponsiveness of the U.S. military as well as the, um, the private contractors that, that the housing has been outsourced to. But anyway, Lee uh, you know, tweeted out that she knew this soldier who committed suicide. I heard about it the other day. Um, it, his name was uh, Robert Bobby Barrios. He's 32 years old. He's a Green Beret, for, uh, and he's in the Army for 12 years. Just committed suicide the other day. Um, and, and James Laporta, who's a journalist with Newsweek, a former Marine himself, he, he tweeted this out. And um, I'm just going to read. This is the veteran crisis line that you can call if you know your friend is having some problems or you're having some issues. The number is 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. I just wanted to bring that up. Following up on you know our interview with Greg Walker, where we talked a lot about this stuff, and you know this just happened the other day. He committed suicide on May 25th, and you know this is a real problem. It's amongst us every day. Um, I don't have the solution, you know, right, that I can hand anybody. You know, I don't think anyone does. But you know, Greg brought up some some good points about you know what how the military can do a better job. So there's that. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, another previous guest of the podcast and and friend of the podcast is uh, Dale Comstock. Uh, who's a former Delta Force operator. Uh, The last time we had him on was actually to talk about this uh, crazy mercenary gig that was going down in Aden in Yemen that Dale was a part of. And um, BuzzFeed did a big investigative story about it, and we had Dale on uh, like a couple days after it was published to to talk about it. And Dale is a very interesting guy. I mean, actually a friend of Dale's, um, who worked with him as a paramilitary contractor. Uh, he, he described Dale to me as a real-life G.I. Joe, uh, which is not not far off the mark, not far off the mark. But a little bit of sad news is that um, Dale, he lives in Indonesia, and his fiance is having like some serious health issues um, that I I guess it exceeds what their national healthcare system can provide for. So Dale actually has a uh, GoFundMe campaign up that you can go and find and take a look at. Um, There it is. Thanks for bringing that up, Dennis. I got you. Tiara's Life Support is the name of the GoFundMe. Um, If you go take a look at that, they're trying to raise $25,000. They're at about $7,000 now. And it it sounds like – I read this uh, a couple days ago, but I – can't remember exactly. It's kidney failure. Kidney failure resulting in... An enlarged heart. And high blood pressure.
1: Dangerously high blood
0: pressure. So, like, uh, his fiance is, like, going through some pretty serious shit. So, you know, like, we threw up the GoFundMe for... um, uh Rob Trevino, another uh former Delta member, former operator who uh had a stroke and you guys were awesome and like raised a ton of money for uh for Rob. Um was, he was at a time when he when he needed it. Um so if you guys want to go check that out and maybe, you know, even if you can just throw uh Dale and his old lady, you know, ten or twenty bucks or whatever it is, every little bit will make a difference. And I haven't talked to Dale about this or what's going on with him, you know. Um you know, maybe I'll reach out and just ask how he's doing. But um, before I do that, I just wanted to you know throw this out there because you know we have the opportunity to maybe help him in a substantial way, and well, to help his fiance more specifically.
1: And we'll we'll definitely link this when we uh, when I post the show. Uh, you know, we'll have the link for the GoFundMe there. So if you just go to SoftRep, you can just find today the the show we record today. Click the link, and it'll take you right to it. So. If you need to know exactly where it is,
0: yep. And I, I talked to uh, uh, our friend, another friend of the podcast, Jim West. Talked to him yesterday. Um, he had his his uh, shoulder surgery, and he's back home. Uh, maybe to say he's feeling good would be a bit of an overstatement, but he, he's he's fine. He, he's getting better. He's going to do some do his rehab, and he'll be good to go.
1: I don't think. Uh, I don't think you feel good after sh- a shoulder shoulder surgery. Like it, you just rec- like. What do you do? You just sit in...
0: Uh... It, it was like a... T- he'll, he'll tell us all about it when we get him back on. But I, I believe it was like a total rotor cuff reconstruction. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Which doesn't bad. sound ideal. A- another friend of mine who I, I, I won't mention his name. It, I, I've been trying to twist his arm and get him to come on here for a while. And I'll probably succeed eventually. Although I won't twist his arm because you'll... Yeah, not, you'll literally. <laughs> you'll understand after this story. Uh, he, he wrecked his motorcycle, broke both his arms. And um, they they opened him up. He said he was he was under anesthesia. Uh, they they operated on him for like five hours, putting both of his shoulders like totally fucked.
1: Now is that a, like a full upper body cast, or is that like I don't two? I
0: don't know what kind of cast he's in uh, right now. He's uh, but he's with
1: friends recovering.
0: He, he's going to be okay, but it was it's an ordeal, you know. Yeah,
1: I mean, you think of everyday life, like you know, brushing your teeth, if you if you got. You know, I'm right-handed. If you break your right hand, you gotta use your left and you're just all. That's over so the, funny. You now say you're say using that, yeah. two hands. Like, what do you do now?
0: You Jim, just kinda put Jim, it on a post. Jim brought that up on the phone with me yesterday. He's like, You're in a totally different world now. He's <laughs> like,
1: Imagine you can't wipe your That's, ass. <laughs> exactly. I uh I remember in college I I had um hand surgery. I got sliced, I sliced my my tendon on my right my right hand, which is my dominant hand. And you know, they put me in this cast and it completely changes the way – like, you don't realize the everyday – using a fork. Yeah, yeah. And then I had finals during college. I can't write, so I had to go down to, like, the uh, like the special needs, and I had to vocalize my essay, which is wow impossible. Like, good luck trying to formulate thoughts out loud, having a person writing down your notes, and then you kind of look at it and, like, all right, well, here's what I want to say. Yeah, so, yeah. So you kind of just bring them, like, a five and, like, hey, make it sound as good as possible. That, I mean, that was my theory. I, th- I think I ended up passing in class, so it worked out in the long run, but I could only imagine both hands broken.
0: We are a tool-using species, so. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I kind of took you guys around the world a little bit on, on some sad news here to start it off, but, you know, important to mention these things. Um, other news items, what else do we got going on? I, I, was, I was actually um, throwing shade yesterday on uh, Hawaii, Chinese okay. telecom company, um, and uh, you know I, I know some of our our conservative listeners get upset when I when I criticize President Trump, but um, one thing his administration has done that I really support, and I'm really glad that the Trump administration has begun standing up and uh, our government, you know, under his direction has begun standing up to the Chinese government, and you know we're not taking it like a little bitch the way we have been, you know, for the last like two decades. Um, there are some, you know, Huawei is basically this Chinese telecom company. The Trump administration is saying like, hey, these systems that they produce cannot be put into U.S. government telecom infrastructure. And they're also making some moves to have Huawei, you know, blacklisted entirely and basically kicked out of the United States. <laughs> and... See ya. And because Yeah, because they want to like build and, and essentially own the entire 5G infrastructure. And the capabilities they would have to spy on all of us in real time become, you know, essentially unlimited. Right. And and this is a country and a company. uh, You have to understand that this company is not like a private company, sort of like ours are. They are um, quasi state actors. Uh, Any kind of private company, quote unquote, in China nominally works for the Chinese Communist Party. A big company like Huawei will have a cell of Chinese Communist Party members inside the company. So you can't, like, regard them as being the same as, like, AT&T or Cisco or or, or other privatized telecom companies. Like, you just can't see them in the same way. And this is a a country, the PRC, that is essentially – not essentially, it is. It's building a database of every person in America – They're studying us intently, so we can't. Like I said earlier, I mean, the colloquial term, taking it like a bitch. Like we can't, (laughs) we can't do it. We can't let it happen. So I'm glad that the Trump administration is standing up to them. Huawei filed a lawsuit. Um, Well, they the first their, their first lawsuit they filed in response to all of this was they were saying that America is violating their constitutional rights. To, to invade our privacy? It's like, listen, red China, you can <laughs> fuck off with this shit. Like, you don't have constitutional rights here. Yeah, um, we- you know here's Uh, a here's a thing about constitutional rights like i saw all these stories in the press about how julian assange's constitutional freedoms are being violated it's like hey pal this guy isn't an american citizen he's not in america he doesn't have uh, there's no such thing as constitutional rights for him those are for us americans like And, and a lot of americans realize this because they go outside of the country they get into trouble and they're like, "Oh, well, what about my free, my, my 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 human rights, my my constitutional freedoms, buddy? You don't have any constitutional freedoms when you're in India, when you're in Turkey, when that you're kid, in China. That kid
1: in North Korea, the college kid, he like I forgot what he did. He did something stupid and got arrested." And they just threw him away, and they, and they were like, we're not giving him back. My constitution. And he, he was like, what about freedom? And he's yeah. like, like, that don't happen over here, Fuck buddy. Freedom, yeah. bro. No one
0: gives a shit. We're going to murder you and harvest your fucking organs. So it, it, no one gives a shit about that. Um, and then the, this next one that Hawaii filed, they're, they're complaining. It wasn't that we were just violating their human rights. They said this ban on our, on our technologies deprives global human rights. That, that the entire world is being deprived of human rights because America won't let us have access to their technologies. That one makes sense. That one I follow. <laughs> and China... So the thing about the Chinese is they've studied our culture intently and they understand, like, where the levers are. They, like, know what buttons <laughs> to push. So, like, you'll hear them sometimes pull the race card on us, which is incredible because it's like China... The Han Chinese... I've got to be the largest ethnic group worldwide. I mean, there's like a billion of these people. Right. Like, you are not an oppressed ethnic no. minority. <laughs> <laughs> you're stop, the, v- <laughs> the vast majority. Stop pretending like you're black people in 1950s America. Like, that is not who you are. <laughs> you're not that population. Sorry. Now get the fuck out. Yeah, you're calling the <laughs> shots. Stop, stop <laughs> trying to act like we're holding you back. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to see the, the Trump administration standing up to Huawei and, and to the Chinese government. It's good to see. And we'll, we'll see where all this goes. I mean, because this is just what what I'm talking about here is just like one little sliver of a much larger global, cultural, political battle. And that's what we talked about with Fred Galvin when we had him on uh, just like, what, four episodes ago. Mm-hmm. We got We got kind of in-depth with that with him. So those
1: are some of the things I wanted to bring up. Uh did you find anything, Dennis? I the only thing I wanted to bring up, and it, it's not funny, but it it just shows how petty uh President Trump can be. He was in Japan yesterday, or Wednesday, should I say, and he was visiting uh the Seventh Fleet in I good luck with my Japanese pronunciations, but uh Yokosuka. That,
0: that, that might be close. Where that, where is that? J- Okina- Okinawa,
1: Japan. Uh, that's as specific as they got, and I didn't, I didn't go any deeper. Okay. But uh, he was visiting the Seventh Fleet there, and the USS McCain, which obviously, if you're listening to the show, I'm sure you're familiar with Trump and McCain's uh, political differences, was one of the ships in the fleet, and allegedly, Trump, whether he made them do it or not, the ship itself was quote unquote out of sight for President Trump. <laughs> We, and there were rumors, nothing confirmed, no pictures or anything of the sort, but that there were banners hung over the name McCain on the USS McCain, which, I mean, how petty, as, as I told you off air, uh, John McCain died what, last year, two years ago, yeah, whenever it was like, let it go, man. It's over. You don't have to no need to to dance on his grave. Like you're the president, can you can you act like it you, once in a while? You know,
0: it makes me wonder though if
1: if that's really something
0: that Trump asked to be done or if that was just something like
1: the thing Let's have, let's get ahead of the The thing
0: you have to understand about like military officers is like they are like they're just as George W Bush described the Pentagon as a bunch of nervous nellies at one point. And so th- there's these little like enclaves of like ch- we call them in the military chogi boys around every general and every admiral and they they like go everywhere they they as they describe it their general is going to go and make sure everything looks kosher for him so that when he shows up like if that general has a pet peeve with like hoodie sweatshirts like you're wearing right now they'll come in and be like hey you you need to take that off right now like no red M&Ms in the in right, a, right, the right. green room exactly so that when their general shows up everything looks as as up and up right um so i would not be surprised at all if naval officers were like oh president trump's coming we gotta we we gotta hide we gotta hide get
1: get the mccain out of here we have to
0: hide our entire (laughs) fucking ship from the president they call david copperfield he does one of those yeah with like mirrors mirrors and stuff yeah I, i would not be surprised uh to, to find out that the Navy did that preemptively.
1: Because obviously Trump claimed that he had no idea, but he, he said it was like a well-mannered... <laughs> he was like, that was a good idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, he said that? So, <laughs> it was, uh, I want to get the exact...
0: I don't want to misquote him. I was not informed about anything having to do with the Navy ship USS John S. McCain during my recent visit to Japan. Nevertheless, FLOTUS and I loved being with our, uh, our great military men and women with a spectacular job they do.
1: I mean uh backhanded insults and pumping America that's what Trump does best. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even a Trump hater. I don't know where like but that's uh, every time he tweets it's just it's high comedy which you would want from a stand-up comic but not from the president of the United States I feel. Some people like it though. Some people like the uh I like mean, the drama. 77,000 liked it on uh yeah. on Twitter. So so yes, people do like it. I think that th- that's good for me. I mean, introduction wise, Alex is going to talk. I told him what you wanted to discuss before he comes on. And he, he was already, he was messaging me already gone. He goes, I, I said, Alex, calm down, please. And this is our first, like I haven't formally talked to him yet. So we've just gotten to know each other in the past week. And he's, I can already tell that I'm going to be a huge fan of his. And <laughs> so I'm excited to have him on.
0: No, he's a great guy. Um, Yeah. Let's go ahead and dial him up. And, uh, 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 there's a couple things I'd like to talk about them and a couple of things we're going to have to hold for next time, but we'll, I'll discuss that, you
1: know, when, when we get them on, well, before we get to them, I want to, uh, let me get an ad out of the way because Alex doesn't want to hear it and I don't want him to, to have to listen, but this show is brought to you by airdrop airdrop is a new selection on crate club where you can find essential gear and killer apparel that you can buy separately from our monthly and quarterly club subscriptions. There's great stuff on there. That's heavily discounted, but a lot of these items, they're going to sell out quickly. So if I were you, I'd get there now, start buying. For example, we got a few more Cry Precision Ballistic Soft Armor inserts. Not a lot left, so seriously, hop on that. We also have Fishing Spears, but again, they're selling out quickly. Get on them now. Other items like the Gerber Multi-Tool, they're gone. You can't buy them, so you snooze, you lose. It's up there now on its own section on crateclub.us, or you can go to store, dot crate dot us to check it all out that's store dot dot us there's tons of gear you're going to love on airdrop without further ado here's alex here we are we're on
0: with alex hollings maybe your fourth or fifth appearance on the podcast maybe
2: i'm not really sure i kind of lost count i think you know four sounds about right i think i've yeah. probably been here four times
0: yeah i think so uh, so thanks for coming on today. So again, Alex is a former Marine and also longtime writer on NewsRep, and most of your work is on uh, the Loadout Room now, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, I recently switched over from being the senior staff writer over at uh, NewsRep to now the managing editor at the Loadout Room, which is a lot less writing and a lot more managing. You know, so I'm still doing a lot of writing. You know, I'm writing for some for some other outlets. I still write for NewsRep here and there can find my stuff on popular mechanics as well. But yeah, I've, uh, I've switched over to the dark side like you, Jack, where now I spend half of my day answering emails and taking phone calls instead of writing content. And it's a, it's a weird switch, you know,
0: Hey, it's not for real until you spend more time dealing with drama than you do writing.
2: Yeah. I try my best, man. I really do try my best to avoid it. Every time I get like an angry email, that's the biggest change from going to the loadout room. Is that with news rep, everything's time sensitive, right? I yeah. mean, the news cycle never ends. Gear reviews are not as hot and pertinent. You know, I don't have to rush to get this pocket knife review out, or the world's gonna end. So when someone gives me a really angry email, I just like, yeah, all right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <I> okay, <don't> <laughs> you know, it's a it's a it's a nice change of pace. It really is. Yeah, my stress levels have gone down significantly. I can only imagine, like running the podcast and the website, you know what I mean, and doing your own writing. I can only imagine doing that with the constant drumbeat of the 24-hour news cycle. Uh, I mean, it's emotionally taxing in a way that I think people outside the media probably don't realize, in a way that I didn't really realize until I stepped away from it a bit and came to find out that the world's not going to burn down if I don't get my take on what's happening out to Twitter right away. Yeah,
0: it, Like there are times where I've wondered like, am I a website editor or like a crisis manager? Like what, what, what am I really doing here?
2: Absolutely, man. It really, I mean, in, in any field, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're managing people, you know, some people have, you know, some people have tough times. Some people suck, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's part of the, it's part of the job. I'm really fortunate that I, uh, all the contributors I've been dealing with over at the loadout room. Uh, have all been great. You know, Scott Whitner ran the loadout room before me and he did an incredible job. I wasn't taking over a website that was on fire or not working properly. You know, I got to step into a well-oiled machine. So he really set me up for success. So it's been a blast. It really has, but, uh, it's also been a lot of work.
0: You know, uh, I haven't written gear reviews in so long. Like I wrote, I wrote a little bit for the loadout room when we first started that website. And before that I did gear reviews for another website and It was fun for a while, you know. I definitely got some vendors, like, up in arms with me.
2: I will say that's one of the weird things about running a website like the loadout room is that you have to maintain these kind of at-arms distance relationships with these vendors who they want uh, to be your best friend until you have a criticism about some of their gear. And then they start really sweet and get kind of more and more aggressive in hopes of, of getting a good review out of you, you know, and, uh, and you do need to manage those relationships to a certain extent. Uh, but the important thing is getting, you know, the truth to the reader. Uh, so, you know, it's always, it's an interesting balance. Whereas uh, as a hard news writer, it doesn't matter whose feelings I hurt. You know, uh, my job is just to get the hard news out there. Uh,
0: I mean, but I didn't give a shit when I did it. <laughs> this is, yeah, this right. is my, this is my like introduction to being a rabble rouser, I guess, because, uh, I had sources, shall we say, just in the R and D field, um, you know, in the military and, uh, knew I was writing stuff about sniper systems, about machine guns that, you know, that didn't work, that were breaking all the time that were substandard and like manufacturers were going ape shit. And, uh, I realized but that's
2: important work, but that's, that's integral
0: work. You know, like I, I really, th- I realized though that like, Part of the reason why you see, like, like there were manufacturers, there's a company that makes helmets, and I, and one of their engineers told me a bunch of stuff, and it wasn't off the record, so I reported it. And they, like, oh, my God, sent these, like, ranting emails, like, furious, like, our board of directors isn't comfortable with this story. I'm like, well, then why'd you tell me?
2: Yeah, and.
0: absolutely. Uh, but, but I mean, I realize that, like, a lot of these vendors and a lot of these companies, they're used to being treated with kid gloves. Like, they're, the, the story, like, nobody really writes, like, those kinds of, like, exposés. Like, when was the last time you saw, like, a gun review? Like, hey, your gun fucking sucks. It breaks you know, the, it the breaks last time The last
2: time I saw one was a while ago now, and it was actually the SIG uh, P320, which has been adopted by... I think the entire DOD at this point, but the Army initially and a lot of law enforcement. Was that the one and, that was having that drop safety issue? Exactly. Uh, you know, if you dropped it on its dovetail, it would fire around, you know, which is absolutely an unacceptable thing when we're talking about a combat pistol or yeah, a law yeah. enforcement pistol, where, you know, if you're using your sidearm, you're already in kind of a tight spot, uh, at least in the conventional forces, which my experiences were. You know, uh, a lot of junior Marines weren't even issued sidearms, you know, and if if you were issued one, it was secondary to your primary weapon system, right? I mean, a grenade
0: is more useful than a sidearm for an
2: infantry soldier. Absolutely. You know, so when you're talking about a sidearm that you're going to use in a combat environment, you have to assume that it's in a tough situation, which very feasibly could include grappling with an opponent. You know, firearm retention is one of the most important things that they teach you in the Marine Corps when they issue you a sidearm, right? Because the last thing you want is for someone to take it from you and use it on you. That's the reason why when you carry pepper spray, you need to be pepper sprayed to qualify. Because the assumption is if someone gets this from you, they're going to use it on you. And uh, so if you have a weapon that if it falls out of your hand or is knocked out of your hand, it's going to go off, that is absolutely unacceptable. Now, SIG has, of course... Since then, uh, you know, repaired their, their weapon and they've offered to let you send your civilian P 320s in to be repaired in the same way uh, at no charge. But uh, when it happened, it was a huge, huge deal because it was such an uncommon thing. And a lot of outlets didn't pick it up. It was like, indiv- you know, independent bloggers who first started running the story and then it got picked up later. You weren't seeing gear review websites say, "Yeah, man, when we threw this pistol on the ground, it went off." Because most gear review websites aren't allowed to take this brand new pistol from them and throw it on the ground. You know, so uh, you're absolutely right. Those are the types of things that uh, these guys are used to being dealt with with kids' gloves. I'm fortunate that all the gear reviews I've been doing so far have all been for kind of simpler things. You know, uh, this pocket knife. I'm a, I make my own knives, so I tend to be kind of a nitpicker when it comes to knives. Uh, But at the end of the day, it does pay to remind some people that a knife is ultimately just a sharp piece of metal, you know, and when you're that guy on the Internet who says it's not worth carrying something unless it costs a thousand dollars or it's all junk unless it's the thing that I have, it pays to remember every once in a while that like. You know, a pocket knife is a pocket knife. It's a tool for a specific use. And if you're going to use it as a makeshift Phillips head screwdriver because it's just in your pocket and you don't have a screwdriver to screw in your license plate, that's a different kind of pocket knife than the $1,000 one this guy thinks is all you need to field clean a buck.
0: I got like – this is like advice from the streets, I guess. That could be a whole segment (laughs) right there, but – uh, I had this guy tell me one time, he's like, Why are you gonna carry a thousand dollar knife? He's like, if you have to dab somebody up, you're like gonna throw that thing into the sewers and, and fucking walk yeah. away. Like <laughs> you don't wanna be caught with that thing after you Make stab sense. the shit out of somebody.
2: Absolutely. You know, especially you wanna care I, I love it. My favorite thing that I find online all the time are sincere seeming gear reviews of ridiculous dragon knives <laughs> that look you know, that are like, you know, just in case you ever end up fighting Conan the Barbarian, this this piece of uh, hardware is really going to do it for you. I like simple and functional gear. I like stuff that my wife isn't going to yell at me for buying, you know? And uh, that's the approach I've tried to take to the loadout room. We definitely have some contributors, uh, you know, that, that are big gear collectors. You know what I mean? They don't mind spending $1,000 on just optics for the rifle because this is their life and it's their passion. And I, I respect and admire that. For my purposes, that's not feasible, Right, so what I want to tell you is, what can you actually use that isn't going to cost you more than your car, you yeah, know? Yeah. And sometimes that's tough, you know. But it's it's a unique challenge compared to what I've been dealing with before with over at News Rep and stuff like that. So I've been having a good time with it. Cool.
0: No, I'm glad, man. Uh, there's another like. Had I known, you know, we kind of booked you at the last minute, but uh, had we had I put some more thought into this beforehand, I would have prepped and we could have done our, our uh, epic. Uh, you know, superhero episode that we're still going to have to do sometime. But I have to go back because we I remember I wanted to talk to you about the Batman versus Superman movie, but I got to go back and watch it again and take some notes.
2: I actually I'll do it, too, because I, I, you and I have talked about this before in grad school. I actually wrote a thesis paper about how Batman and Superman and the way we we see them in our cultural lexicon uh, reflects how we see ourselves as a yeah, nation. Yeah. And one of these days we'll have to talk about it. But honestly, man, you're probably one of the only guys that I feel like I need to brush up a bit to talk comic book shop with <laughs> you. Too. So, so I'm down. We'll have to plan ahead for that one, so I could do some some advanced reading. Yeah,
0: yeah. That that movie specifically has a lot of stuff in it about uh, regarding exactly that because like Batman and Superman each represent something different. Uh, you know, one one is presented as like a living God or a living Jesus, and the other is like the, the antithesis. He's like the the atheist model um, that the world is, is
2: harsh and cruel,
0: you know. You know, and,
2: and we have a bad habit in America of discrediting our popular culture as silly, you know. I mean, popular culture has always been a hugely important part of what culture is. You know, we look back at like Greek mythology. Greek mythology was pop culture. at the time, you know, now through the lens of time, we look back at these as epic tales, but at the time it was popular culture. You know, we are at the end of the day, a product of the culture that we consume because it's the only way we understand the world a little bit further away than our line of sight. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, foreign cultures, they have these things like, um, like in Europe, there's like knights in shining armor in, uh, in Asia, you have like these, uh, what is that genre? Wuxia, where it's like Shaolin monks, and you have samurais and ninjas and all this kind of stuff.
2: But in America, our, the, our our version of that is superheroes. Absolutely, you know. And when you think about it, even a lot of those cultures have been informed by pop culture interpretations of their own culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, the mafia is a contemporary American example where prior to The Godfather. The mafia didn't operate very much like they did in the movies, the, like the Godfather movies, or, especially. or dress like it. Yeah, or dress like it. But people watching those movies who were involved in organized crime really liked the romanticized version of the mafia that they were being depicted as, and adopted it. You know, uh, I, I think this is about law enforcement all the time. You know, you're silly, you're crazy if you think that. Americans who grow up in America consuming American pop culture and then go on to become law enforcement officers, if their idea of what it is to be a cop hasn't been informed by the 20 past years of watching cop drama, TV shows, and movies, that's why they talk the same way they do in movies. It's not because you're trained to talk like a police (laughs) officer in a movie. It's because that's how you grew up believing police officers talk. Pop culture really does shape the world around us. But when it's silly things, you know, like superheroes or UFOs, like we were talking about, you know, offline before, when you're when it's things that we like to discredit as silly, it's really easy to say that it doesn't actually matter. Kim Kardashian doesn't actually matter. Right, right. In, in truth, it really does. You know? It's like it's it's what's creating the boundaries of our understanding of how we live.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like especially our sense of morality is like very superficial because it's crafted by these like video games and movies where it's like very clear cut good and evil, like it's black and white. Like the the the, our our social narratives like don't leave any room in between. Like we don't like those in between
2: sorts of areas. Um, You're absolutely right, man. I saw a meme today on my Facebook newsfeed that really pissed me off. That was uh. Basically, you know, an American saying, you know, we spy on people and then Russia saying, well, we spy on people, too. And Americans being angry. That's such an elementary school boiling down of geopolitics when good and bad are a matter of perspective. You know, it's really difficult for some people when exploring foreign policy to understand that from the standpoint of a Russian soldier, we are the bad guys. Objectively to him. We are the bad guys. He's not necessarily a bad guy. Yeah, he might work yeah. for a regime that that doesn't have uh, goals that are like you know infitting with our own. Well, right? and he has a hell of a lot more in
0: common with the an American with a American soldier than he does with his own politicians. As, as do Absolutely.
2: we you know now in order to fight that war you still need to fight that soldier absolutely you know but this is the reason why most of the times when you talk to guys who have seen a lot of real heavy combat experience guys like you jack you tend not to say that you hated the people that you were fighting it's much more that you were doing your job you were accomplishing objectives very rarely was it like a deep seated you know loathing For your opponent, what it is is it's getting the job done for your country instead for the guys that you're fighting alongside. Uh,
0: And that's also why we dehumanize the enemy and we call them krauts and haji and things like that. You have to. I mean,
2: statistically speaking, in most first engagements, guys have a lot of trouble actually shooting at the enemy. Usually you shoot in the direction of the enemy, uh, but you don't shoot directly at the enemy until you have no choice uh, for that reason, for the same reason why it's hard. You know, I spent a long time as a martial arts instructor. One of the hardest things for me to get someone to do is actually punch someone in the face. I know it sounds crazy, but pe- like you have this natural instinct because we grow up in a civilized society in a culture where we tell you never to hurt others. You know, every day of your life as you as you age, as you mature. It, it depends then, it depends on the person though too, Alex. Like I remember
0: uh, Yeah, that's true. I, I mean I have you know, training with Jim West. I mean, he he actually said he's like, I thought you'd be a bit more like reserved. He's like, actually it seems like you really want to punch somebody in the face. And and but then he also we did a um a training video one time and he he brought in this um this young woman um because it was like a woman's self-defense segment so like the thing was like she had to hit me and defend against me right and she was yeah. like super she did not want to hit me at all maybe it's Absolutely. because i'm such a nice guy but for sure well
2: it's partially because you're a nice guy it's also partially <laughs> because she doesn't know you and she doesn't she's not scared right, like the, right the adrenaline's right. not flowing i got into training people uh because uh my brother had an employee who is a young woman who got raped at a party and I. Uh, And she was having a lot of trouble with her self-confidence, just in general, a feeling as though she could leave her house, you know? And uh, my brother asked me if I would just, you know, work with her a little bit on self-defense techniques and showing her some of the things that I knew, not really with the intent necessarily of her fending off a future rapist, so much as trying to give her a sense of empowerment where she could feel like she's a capable person who really could defend herself or get away or do something if she needed to. And... uh. That was, And that was the hardest part for her, too. I mean, this is someone who's already been victimized. You'd think that they'd have a, a lot of rage inside them, but it's still really hard to turn off that switch for a lot of people. Some people are natural warriors, you know what I mean? Uh, but for, for a lot of people, it's hard to turn off those safety switches and start swinging for the fences, you know? And uh, So if it's that hard for people to throw a punch in a controlled setting— just imagine how hard it is for those of you who haven't served in the military or maybe you did but didn't see combat just imagine how hard it must be to pull the trigger that first time when in your head you can't help but wonder if maybe you don't need to.
0: Well, you know you're hitting upon like some social dynamics that play into our national politics and and how we regard things like gun control. so the people who are more shall we say, educated, sophisticated urbanites. I mean, they, they, you know, well-dressed men and women, they speak a certain language and they have this idea of like, everyone should have their guns taken away so we can keep everyone safe. Whereas there's other cultures and other parts of America where it's like, look, look, like there are bad people in the world and, you know, we have to accept that and and acknowledge that reality. I guess it's, it's sort of like the idea of like, we need to protect everybody versus we need to understand we live in a violent world and and, and adapt
2: to that. You know, and, and I think it's fair to say, despite the fact that I'm clearly a pretty big two-way guy, that there's truth to both sides of the argument. You know what I mean? Uh, there's, There's good intentions to both sides of the argument, but what it ultimately comes down to is the rules that make perfect sense in Manhattan don't make perfect sense in Montana. Yeah. You know? Well,
0: and even beyond that, I mean, even if you are in Manhattan, I mean, like, we can't keep pretending these things don't happen, like these gun-free zones. Like, it doesn't, it just doesn't
2: work. Yeah, it's born out of the idealism of being protected, right? Yeah. Like, uh I, I, You know, it's an old trope, but I had a buddy I was in the Marine Corps with. He was a corporal when I got out, but uh, he had never bought a car before, right? And uh, so he asked me if I would come with him. I think he was a Lance Corporal at the time to go try to buy a car. No, he was – he identified already at the time. We're talking 2009, 2010. He already politically identified as a socialist, which I thought wasn't in keeping with serving in the Marine Corps. We debated this a lot of times. Uh, But honestly, he was a good Marine. He was a good Marine who's just his politics didn't vibe with mine, but he was a good guy. Uh, But over time, I came to learn as we went to go buy his first car and uh, they wouldn't give him a loan because he had never had credit. So we called his dad to ask his dad to co-sign and his dad was like, well, how much is the car? And he said, oh, it's $10,000. And his dad said, just let me talk to him. I'll pay for it. And I found out his dad was a fiercely conservative, very well off lawyer in New York (laughs) City who and it was because of that i really do think that his son grew up in a safe and comfortable enough environment to adopt this idea that the government can solve all of our problems that yeah. socialism can do it you know i don't think like alexandria ocario cortez uh, ocasio cortez i don't think that she's a bad person i think that she's naive yeah yeah uh, you know uh, and it's this naivety comes from how safe this country is what a, like we're oh, in an overwhelmingly safe nation, but statistically, not for everyone.
0: Oh, and that plays into, again, I mean, so many other things like um, why we're susceptible to Russian disinformation operations. It's because Absolutely. we're so
2: fucking naive in this country. Like, it's unbelievably naive. Not just naive, but aggressively naive. <laughs> like, we're not only naive, but we defend it yeah, and, and yeah. argue that we aren't. You know, we're all the best informed person ever, right? Yeah. And uh, like in my poorly formed stance on this that I developed because I saw three memes that I really thought were funny, uh, I will defend it to the last breath with capital letters on Facebook, and it, it's absolutely just like you were saying before. We want everything to fall neatly into a black or white category, a good or bad category, and everything about the world we live in is gray. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, combat operations yeah. are inherently evil. Killing people is bad right it's still a necessity it is a reality of this world Sa- same with espionage so when we say we spy on people so does russia so we should give russia a pass you're missing the point the point is that there's a finite amount of space there's a finite amount of resources and if only one family gets to eat today it's going to be mine you know and that's literally the struggle that the world is playing geopolitically at all times right because on a long enough timeline everything does run out And we're not just talking about, like, things that you can hold in your hand, but we're talking about diplomatic and economic influence, things like that. Uh, Having – being the sole economic superpower in the country is mutually exclusive to China also being an economic superpower. That's the reason why we have tensions with them, aside from the fact that they're kind of bad guys, you know, (laughs) objectively from our standpoint, not from theirs. Yeah.
0: Uh, And it's a it's a sidebar, I guess, to some extent. But I mean, there there's there is something to be said that like here in New York, you have it's the you see these people, you meet these people They're They're the epitome of the limousine liberal or the champagne socialist that like their entire lives are waking up in the morning and cashing in like they have trust funds. They wake up, they cash in every day. They're cashing in and they have no idea what it's like for uh, normal Americans um, to uh, have to worry about how they're going to pay their bills.
2: And, and to them, resources seem so plentiful that why wouldn't there be enough to go around? Right, Look how much right. I have.
0: Right, exactly. And then they want to like turn around and scold the rest of us on our values and talk about like, oh, you you're, you have white privilege or male privilege or whatever the fuck
2: it is. It's like, Motherfucker, you're the most privileged person in the world. How are you, how are you talking yeah, to me about know, privilege? <laughs> I have I get into this argument fairly often because people make I would argue probably some wrong assumptions about me because I'm a writer and I have a master's degree and I you know I write for Popular Mechanics about technology. I grew up in a trailer park, man. You know, I uh, you and I talked about this before. My next door neighbor until I moved recently was a welder named Grizzly who builds hot rods in a shack. You know, I live out in the middle of the woods because. I, I may have gone to school for a long time, and I may write for a living, but I get along better with blue-collar guys that kind of have a smaller worldview. Their concern is their lives, not making sure that legislation gets passed to uh, to adjust how people are living in Utah, or, or like yeah. some sort of like hyper
0: morality world poli- uh, word policing other people. You exactly.
2: Sure You know, you'll, you'll find, I was surprised when I moved to Georgia from Boston, I thought I was going to move into the moonshiners, which to an extent, you know, it kind of is. But these guys aren't worried about what you're doing. You know, even when you see that guy with a Confederate flag on his truck, he, that Confederate flag's for him, not for you. (laughs) You know, he doesn't care about you and your political beliefs. He expects you to have different political beliefs and he expects you not to talk about them with him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, the idea that we all need to be involved with what everybody's doing, yeah, is, is just it blows my mind. Like, I, can't, I don't want to
0: be in your fucking underwear draw. Like that's not a place I want to be.
2: See, and to me, that's what classic conservatism was supposed to be. You know, I thought that it was supposed to be leave me alone. You know, I grew up in a conservative household, and the idea always was that the government, the less I deal with the government, the better. I'd rather not talk to them. I'd rather not deal with them. I got to go to the DMV every once in a while, you know, and uh, I do think to a certain extent we've lost that a bit because both parties are primarily concerned with victory, not necessarily with adhering to their ideals anymore. Maybe that's just my stance, but uh, more and more, it seems like both parties are happy to have bigger, more government, more government, bigger government, provided it's within the realms of their specific interests. Oh, yeah. You
0: know? oh, no, hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, there there is no small government party that, that what, if that did exist, it's been dead for decades now.
2: I agree. You know, and all I want is a mountain to call my own and enough fence to put around it, (laughs) you know, but uh, for now I live in an HOA though, which is the polar opposite, which might be why I've got pretty strong opinions about this. I do not like living in an HOA. I walk out into my front yard. I can see into three people's homes. You libertarian trash. I know it's awful. You, so, you
0: just want to have a compound in the mountains so you can uh, be a white supremacist and uh, and have uh, five wives, right?
2: I'll be honest, I've got one wife, and as you know, I'm exhausted. So I don't <laughs> think I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pull off five. Oh, but dude! In fact, that my best friend's a Dominican guy. Uh, make, would make it tough for me to pull off the white supremacist thing, but I'll sell him on it slowly, I guess.
0: Have uh, uh, Have you ever been to a country where
2: they practice polygamy? Uh, you know, I'm. I guess I'm not sure. I, I've been to a lot of different countries, but for the most part, if I was there for work, I was out in the middle of nowhere and only interacting with local military. And if I was there personally, I was in touristy places where they wouldn't tell you anyway. Right? When
0: uh, in when I was in Iraq, I mean, it's an Islamic culture, but the reality for people is uh, so in islam you can have multiple wives but the thing is you have to accommodate them all in the same lifestyle you can't have one that's like living like a ball of ass lifestyle and the other is like living like trash like you have to i'd
2: imagine it's a lot like that in turkey you, 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 you have to
0: yeah you have to support them at the same level so because most iraqis are poor they can't afford to have two wives like it's just not feasible uh, when i was in uh, senegal um i did meet people who had multiple wives and the stories were fucking insane, just like totally insane drama because all the wives are competing with one another for attention and resources from the husband. And it just turns into like a total
2: disaster. At least that's what, that's what it sounded like to me. Well, I mean, just imagine, like, just imagine the logistics, even if your wife was cool with it of bringing another wife that you saw as a peer the way that you do see your wife into the household. And all of a sudden there's three votes yep. on what you're going to have for dinner tonight. We yep. fight about what we're going to have for dinner every day. because so I, I don't care. She doesn't care. The, well, we have to figure it out.
0: The, the situation that was described to me like that. So this one guy was telling me about it. He was saying how uh, each wife has their own house. So he will spend like two days with one wife, two days with the other wife. Do you day. have to own
2: the house? Because then I wouldn't even rate one. I, I
0: think so. <laughs> um, and 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 so and the, so one of the things I was hearing about like these arrangements is that what will happen is the husband will go to visit the wife, and she will actually drug his food. So <laughs> so he passes out and is sick and whatever. So she gets him for a whole additional day taking care of him because he's sick, and now she's depriving the husband of another wife. So she's fucking furious and like, like, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know, like a soap opera on steroids.
2: You know, this, this really gets down to the, my fundamental belief about mankind, which is I don't like any of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh oh, dude, you would love, I read this book, uh, Thomas Ligotti, uh, wrote this book called the conspiracy against the human race. And, uh, I just read it was in London the other day. And uh, the book is essentially, it's a a treatise on existential nihilism. And the guy's thesis is that human consciousness was a mistake, that we never should have happened. We never should have become self-aware. And that we did is this huge cosmic joke, this fucking mistake that we think we're something special. And, uh, and when we're not, and, and basically, I mean, honestly, I mean, we started off this podcast, uh, talking about the, the dangers of suicide and mental health. But if you read this book, it's essentially making the case for suicide. It's saying your life is completely fucking pointless.
2: Well, you know, there, there's another concept like mean, we're getting into the weeds with this now, but there's another concept that's similar that basically contends that you, your consciousness is actually, an illusion. It's a manifestation of your brain yes. to justify the way that you that you live. That you know?
0: we that we are simulations of a human being.
2: Uh, well well the the idea that it's a, your consciousness is an illusion. This is kind of different than that brain in a jar, but similar. But their idea basically is that the human brain is is just a calculator. It's a very powerful calculator. Right. right. And everything that is led up to right now is has informed already what I'm going to say and why I'm going to say it. So I'm not actually choosing my words or my points right now so much as they're a byproduct of the summation of my experiences to this point. Right. So so even though in my head, you know, I tell myself that I'm choosing my words or that I'm going to pick a ham sandwich for lunch today, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that it's actually just, you know, the sum of an equation of, you know, it's a math problem. Right,
0: right. That the human brain, the human consciousness is systems on top of systems.
2: Exactly. and And... our idea that we're making decisions is actually just a way that we fool ourselves into being okay with right. our existence because that consciousness, like you're saying, was a mistake. It's a byproduct that we don't actually need to survive.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with um, the, the first half of the book maybe um, that – human consciousness is that if you go digging into these systems, there's really nothing there. Like there, you're not going to find a soul. You're not going to find God. Um, it's a biological construct. Um, but I disagree with the, the, the other thesis that consciousness is a mistake. I mean, that seems like a, um, a incredible incredibly arrogant thing to say. It's like how people say that like the like the the argument made in the matrix that mankind is a disease or a virus that we live in these cities and we have these technologies and we we have broken the equilibrium of the natural world and I think that's bullshit. There's no reason to believe as I was saying earlier we're a tool-using species. We're quite clearly designed to be a tool-using species with our hands where our eyes are located, the size of our brains, the fact that we walk upright. We're obviously designed to use technology and these technologies and these civilizations we build are like a natural outgrowth of our evolution. And I do think they're natural. So I think that to say consciousness is a mistake or that, that, that human beings are some sort of a mistake. I think that's bullshit.
2: Well, I think that it's important to note that when we're talking about how evil human beings are for the world and stuff like that, again, it gets back to that idea of good or bad. When we, when we watch chimpanzees use sticks, you know, they spit on the stick and then stick the stick into a termite nest, pull the stick back out, covered in termites and eat them. Eventually, a group of chimpanzees will eat all of the termites in that nest and eliminate that termite nest. We don't see that as a plague on the termite species. We see that as chimpanzees as a part of the natural order, uh, using the tools at their disposal to survive. Yeah, the it's the same a, thing humans are doing.
0: It's a cultural thing because we kill people and then we feel guilty about it. So then we create a narrative to backstop it. We, we like put that person in heaven or uh, or the dehumanization or whatever that we were talking about before. There, or as you'll find,
2: like now in the United States, you'll find a mix of both. You'll find a lot of people do that and a lot of people hold the United States to an impossible standard because we're supposed to be the good guy. Right,
0: right. Yeah, you so, try to – well, I mean that gets into like how ridiculous and illegitimate – uh, you know, war becomes over a given period of time that you have to create more and more
2: stories to legitimize it. The deeper you get oh, into man. it, I, you nailed it in a story you did for news rep, not that long ago, where you're talking about the drums of war are beating for Iran. Oh it, yeah. It's absolutely true because in you know, we live in a democracy. I mean, it's a representative government, you know, it, it's a Republic, but ultimately if the public does not support a war effort. That war effort is not going to be successful. You know, we saw it in Vietnam. We've seen it to a large extent. I would argue in the modern global war on terror, where we're we're always balancing our idea of what this war is supposed to be in a pop culture uh, concept versus what war genuinely has to be in order to win. You know, and what we're seeing, we saw it with North Korea last year. We're seeing it with Iran now. Uh, we have to convince the general public that they're bad guys right, for right. the general public to accept that we're going to go there. It's the reason why, you know, in the first Persian Gulf war, the you know, incubator co- babies, exactly. the incubated babies being killed, which was actually, you know, a PR firm, uh, was hired to sell the American people this idea. And it really did. And it was successful. It led to us having a very successful campaign in Iraq. I'm not necessarily, I'm not th- and this is where it gets dangerous though. You know, same the same way it gets dangerous when I talk about the, meddling in the 2016 presidential election. It's important that we realize that just because I'm saying that the reasons we went into a war uh, or the reasons we told the American people we went into a war, they those may not have been factually accurate. You may have been lied to. That's not the same thing as saying that we shouldn't have been involved in the first place. It's not the same thing as saying that we should have been involved. You need to look at these things from more of a macro perspective. Well, right?
0: yeah, I, I think like Iraq specifically, the 2003 invasion, I mean, yeah, we sold the government on WM, or I'm sorry, the government sold us on WMDs in Iraq and all that. But I mean, the real reason was the whole concept of Sarania, that we were going to redraw the map of the Middle
2: East. You know, and this is exactly what I mean. The American people, by and large, that's a, that's a foreign concept to them. It's a foreign yeah, concept that, that, we that we drew the being, lines in the Middle you're East being lied the first to. Exactly. You know, uh, however, if you were all the way informed, if you really knew what was going on, your honest appraisal might be that they were making the right call. It also might be that right. they were making the wrong call, right. but being critical of the process is not the same of being critical of the entire outcome or of the entire objective, you know? And that's what, that's the challenge we always face in the media where you could write a story that's critical of something Donald Trump says, uh, and it, immediately gets you painted in a corner as being an anti-Trump journalist. Well, or as, uh, I'm go, sorry. go ahead and finish out. Or, as, or you could, you know, conversely write a story that says, you know, Donald Trump is right. Orbital defense is a serious concern for our country and it'll immediately get you painted as a Trump pumper. And any points you made in either case become moot. I um the, the I think the, the one of the points I was trying to get to there with um how we make
0: up we have to increasingly make up more and more stories to legitimize what we're doing. Uh, I specifically thinking about the war on terror and especially how veterans make up. The, we have these like stories about Spartans and Templar knights and like all this asinine, ridiculous stuff <laughs> that we tell ourselves because we're not the Spartans, by the way. You know our arrows will blot out the sun. The Taliban's arrows are not blotting out the fucking sun. All right. I'm just throwing that out there. Discuss. And and
2: also, it's also important to note that the Spartans were not the Spartans that you think the Spartans were not you, but you know what I mean? Like the the Spartans that we like to draw parallels between ourselves and the Spartans, honestly, you know, depending on who you were looking at the battle of 300, you know, the battle of Thermopylae uh, to some people, the Persians were the good guys. People were living better under the Persian Empire than many people were living, you know, especially the slaves of the Spartans that they had captured in war and stuff like that. You know, we like to look back at the 300, you know, at Thermopylae as these idealistic heroes. They were just dudes, (laughs) just like us, you know, which means some of them were assholes.
0: With you know, with with the storytelling, um, there's that interesting documentary. I know I brought it up before that uh, Robert Curtis documentary, uh, Hypernormalization, and uh, that that term he came across it was it was to describe the Soviet Union in its twilight years. You know, everyone knew the Soviet Union was going to collapse by, or I shouldn't say everyone, but like a lot of economists came to that realization in the late 1970s because it, it's communism. Like, the math just doesn't add up. Like, the, you, can't, you can't sustain this. But, and then, I, and then you get into the 1980s, and by that point, it was really clear to the public and the Soviet Union that this isn't going to work. Like, like this, this isn't going to shake out. But by that point, you had had the Soviet Union for so long, and so many people have been so indoctrinated, they didn't know what would come next? It's like everyone knows the system has failed, but they can't even conceptualize a different system. And we've been in the global war on terror for so long that I feel that we are kind of in that mindset. Like we cannot imagine a world where we just don't have troops deployed all around the world putting out fires.
2: You know, you're touching on something that's really, really important Especially when it comes to talking about places like Iran, North Korea, China, uh, Russia—these nations that were still embroiled in what is effectively a staring contest, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and like we, I will say, you know, I've been to I don't know twenty-five different countries. I do think, by and large, people are the same everywhere you go. That what's different are the systems that they live in, and it's harder to change a system than it is to change a person's mind. You know, in North Korea, people are starting to understand to a certain extent that not the, the whole world doesn't work like this. Yeah. But, but just like you're saying, the concept of how we live is so foreign to them that it's hard for them to wrap their heads around the same way. The concept of how they live is so foreign to us that we're like, why don't they just stand up? Why does not why yeah. don't the North Koreans rise up against Kim Jong? Well, uh, dude, Kim Jong- I mean, you
0: think, uh, you put some thought into this. Uh, I mean, and I, I know you've, you'll you know what I'm talking about here, but the human race is splitting into, like, multiple species. Like, it's already been happening. And, it, like, if you think... Uh, so you, you're a father. I, I have a daughter. Um, I have a bachelor's degree. Her mother has a master's degree. We live in New York. Um, she goes to school. Uh, I have taken her to Europe a bunch of times. My My ex-wife has taken her to... Italy to Paris to the Maldives. I mean, this kid at, at eight years old is like more traveled than than I am, and probably in some ways, um, she has all of these opportunities open to her. Now, take one of those kids that I came across in Afghanistan when I was deployed over there. His dad is essentially a dirt farmer. I don't say that to be derogatory. I mean, it's just like being real. Like it's a rough life. His wife. The, the kid's mom, is would be considered a slave, essentially, by us. That's how we would look at it, that she's essentially a slave. Uh, this kid lives in a, a fucking hut. Um, maybe they have a couple uh, goats or something like that. If, if they're doing well. If they're doing well. This kid has probably never been more than 30 minutes from his house on foot. And that's, that's the scope of the world. That is his world that he lives in. And he, I'm not saying he's necessarily an unhappy child because you can have a very happy childhood in a third world country. Um, it doesn't mean that you're just unhappy and miserable and you're starving to death. Although a lot of them are malnourished and dehydrated and they don't have good health care, but the, he could be a, a happy kid.
2: Maybe. You know, probably, and, and your, your scope of happy is developed on by your experience. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So he very well could be a happy kid. because even he, doesn't, circumstances he, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, now, if you take my kid and this kid I'm describing in Afghanistan, they are like from a two two separate species. And I, I'm I don't mean to make like a racist argument. I'm not trying to say that these people in Afghanistan are subhuman. That's not no, my, they could, that's not my point.
2: Your, your daughter and the kid you're talking about could ethnically be identical. Uh, the the differences would still be Huge. I mean, huge. huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, and you'll see it to a lesser extent, even right here in the United States, you yes. know, uh, yeah, there are some places here in Georgia where people don't have running water in their houses. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I was in a, I was in new Orleans, not all that long ago, large swaths of new Orleans are still just absolutely destroyed from hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's mind boggling to think cause it's been so long and you know, right after an earthquake in Haiti, we sent a billion dollars to rappers to, to buy new boats about Haiti, I guess. You know, we're really good at raising a billion dollars to fix the Notre Dame Cathedral immediately. We're not very good at following through on helping the impoverished survive, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you think about just how destitute some people are, you know, when I was born, I, my, my, at the time there was four of us. We had another brother later, but there was four of us in a 19-foot camping trailer with no running water, and our electricity came from an extension cord that we ran through a window of the trailer to the farm that whose property had let us park our trailer on. You know, my parents worked their asses off to put themselves in a position that. By the time I graduated high school, I managed to go to college for a year before I dropped out like an idiot. Uh, but uh, my parents worked really hard to put me in a position where now my daughter is in a position to lead a life kind of similar to your daughter's. Yeah, yeah. I had never ridden on an airplane until I joined the Marine Corps. You know? Uh, like it, it took – it's going to take now three generations of rather upwardly mobile Americans. You know, my, my dad was a real bright guy. You know, my mom. My mom actually graduated with her bachelor's the same week that I graduated with mine. Oh, but really? uh, she was always very bright and she was uh, very motivated. So my parents worked their asses off to put me in a position to be able to serve my country to pay for my college. You know, and work my ass off to put my daughter in a position. Where now she thinks having a big screen TV is absolutely normal.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah. Um, it's actually in the last chapter of my book where uh, the the end of the book it kind of closes with you know um, last summer when I finished writing the book and I, I really was I was at a in a square in Sardinia, this beautiful sea in front of me, beautiful ocean, these turquoise waters. And I'm sitting there drinking a mojito, typing on my laptop, finishing writing my book. And my daughter's there playing in the ocean with kids from London and France and Johannesburg. And I I was like looking at this and it like dawned on me. I was like, this kid is already like in a totally different place than I was when I was her age.
2: It's like cultural Gattaca. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know? Uh, cause if you think about it, if under the best of circumstances, which like for the sake of argument, let's say my family's been in, we were three generations from, you know, no running water and a trailer to like, I live in a, in a very nice home that I have a separate wing of it for me to work in. Were you from but,
0: like one of those families that dynamited their way down into a valley and never left?
2: Like, no, believe it or not, my dad was just – my dad was a schemer. You know what I mean? He always had another great <laughs> business venture that just kind of – never. he was a baker for a long time. That didn't pan out. Eventually, he got into running nursing homes. Uh, but it was – you know, it took him a while basically because he had to get his bachelor's degree you know mm-hmm. in order to get a good job. Uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is under the best of circumstances, it took three full generations to put my family in a position where my daughter – does not think flying in an airplane is weird. Yeah. Right? Uh, And that's under the best of conditions in the wealthiest nation on the planet. So if you were, were to say how many generations is my daughter away from the little kids that I saw getting into a fist fight in Mozambique, Africa over my Gatorade powder out of my MRE, you know, generationally speaking, I mean, when we're talking about they're almost a different species in a weird way. You really could say, because even under the best of circumstances, let's say things changed overnight for, for that family in Mozambique, they're still six, ten generations away from having the understanding and the scope of the world that my daughter is going to grow up with just through the advantages yeah. she has of being an American child in my house.
0: It's, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, the human mind is systems overlaid on top of systems. And I've, been, I've mentioned this before, that when I was in Iraq and there's this like huge pothole filled with this putrid black water. And as we drive by, I look over and I see these two kids who are like five or six years old playing in the water. Yeah. Now, what do you think the systems are in their head as they're growing up compared to say your kid, Alex? And again, this isn't like a racist argument I'm trying to make. What I'm if No, because
2: genuinely you, these children actually do know a great deal more than our kids about, a, about survival, own, about, about survival. survival yeah,
0: Abs- Hell yeah. You know. And they're, they're probably and there there's things they're going to be better at like improvising. Uh there's th- they're going to be probably more entrepreneurial in a lot of ways because they're going to They'll probably have, to have be. a higher
2: tolerance for physical pain. Yeah, th- because they have to to survive. Exactly. Um yeah. but and if you
0: if you took one of those kids out of that situation and brought them to America, they'd be fine. They'd be yeah. they they would end up like any other American kid. Um even if you took like one of these asshole taliban guys out of afghanistan and brought him to new york he wouldn't be taliban anymore it's not those guys aren't like al-qaeda dudes for the most part they're not like hardcore like radical islamist nutcases like if you took the most of them out of that situation and plopped them down into a different situation they wouldn't be like guerrilla fighters like like hillbillies with huge beards
2: running around shooting villagers and shit (laughs) no you're totally right you know and but and this this gets to what we were talking about before with that good guys versus bad guys thing. The reality of the matter is is that everyone is doing the best they can in their circumstances, right? Yeah. That doesn't just but because I'm able to look at that guy in the Taliban and and acknowledge that in his head among his peer group, like in his family, he's not a bad guy. That doesn't mean that he's my friend or ally. It doesn't mean that we need to get along, but it's important that we acknowledge these things because you cannot – you can't strategize against motive unless you actually understand motive, right? And if you want to attribute just evil, you want to just say that their motives are just nefarious, uh, what you end up doing is setting yourself up for failure because you're not accurately depicting their motives. So you're not able to – for instance, this is why America's so bad with narrative campaigns – because we're so unable to accept the idea that their motives might genuinely be good, <laughs> you know, they're just not in keeping with our own. And there's only enough room for one of us here, uh, because we're not able to accept that culturally. It sets us back strategically.
0: Well, those you know? those people who are like intelligent and sophisticated, and and you know, they went to like Ivy League schools. They also have a real problem. Um, when they think that every stranger is just a friend they haven't met yet and, and they, you
2: know, what's funny about that though, is that they feel that way when it comes to interpersonal actions, but they're also the same people sitting around a table talking about how we have to bring down per patient meal at the hospital to under $3, you know, because those people aren't people.
0: Yeah, I've heard well, I've heard some surreal things over the years, and you know, even even really nice guys, you know, like Jimmy Carter. I mean, by the time he was coming out of office, he realized the world wasn't the place he thought it was. Like, there's some snakes in the grass,
2: and and, and that's then that's really what it comes down to, you know. I because I'm not inherently opposed to social programs. For instance, you know, I don't think that you could grow up as poor as I was and think that nobody needs help sincerely.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, But but the trade-off is that there's always going to be people who game the system. There's always going to be people who are using it for wrong reasons and trying to balance that. That's the reason why I really do think that the best thing for the country is healthy debate and discourse – not uh, the ultimate victory for one party or the other. That's why, I,
0: like, I have a problem with this whole like universal basic income thing because, like, I don't, I don't have a problem with some social pro- programs to like help people who are like seriously struggling. You know, like single mom with three kids, she needs some help. Like, I get it, but like, do I want to be like handing over tax dollars to like some fucking kid who just wants to play video games all day and doesn't feel he should have to get a job? Like, no, no. I-
2: Absolutely. And to a certain extent, ideas like universal basic income to me just sounds like manufactured inflation, you know, it, <laughs> printing <laughs> off money. <laughs> yeah, they'll like, have to right? we're gonna do. We're not going to worry about how the healthcare system is broken in 600 different ways. Just give you more money to give it. You know, we're not going to worry about how oh, yeah, I see what food is too. you know, the, yeah. the agricultural system. We're giving farmers money to farm food that they throw away. We're not going to worry about how that's broken. We're just going to give them more money to grow it, to throw it away. We're not trying to fix systems. We're trying to put bandages on systems, you know? And again, it's just like we were saying earlier, it's easier to change people than it is to change systems. This is the way things work.
0: All right. So, uh, we've given like the grand unified field theory of everything. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, this I, is a weird one before I, <laughs> but before I, we, totally uh go off for another hour on this i did want to bring you back to you know one of your hobby horses is ufos and i know you've written a lot about that and uh, there's a there's a a new just over the last couple days a new slew of articles about you know about this subject and the department of defense and i I wanted to get have you get into that since i know it's something you keep a close eye on
2: yeah and you know the thing for those who may not be savvy uh just at least broke about a number of Navy pilots, the most prominent one being a guy named Lieutenant Graves, who are reporting that through 2014 and 2015, they had frequent encounters with unusual aircraft in the sky, you know, and uh, these aircraft are qualified as unusual through, you know, personal, visual, naked eye observations, through, uh, you know, equipment observations like radar uh, and their behavior in general, you know, captured on FLIR cameras and ca- captured in people's personal statements. These things are weird, you know? But uh,
0: you said they, they actually had eyes on some of them.
2: Eyes on some of them. In fact, in one of them, there were two uh, F-18 Super Hornets, F-18 Super Hornets, flying within 100 feet of one another. And what they described as a sphere encased in in, in, in a transparent cube crossed between them, which uh, when you're flying a wingtip to wingtip at 700 miles per hour uh, in a fighter jet, that is not a significant distance, right? So crossing between these two aircraft, if a Russian fighter were to do it, if it were a Su-25 that did that, we would call that an unsafe and unprofessional encounter. Oh yeah. Uh, At a minimum. Absolutely. You know, so Ah, uh, so you know these Navy pilots. This is actually what led to the Navy now establishing new reporting procedures for what they call UAP sightings, unidentified aerial phenomenon sightings. The reason why they call them UAP is largely because the you know UFO, unidentified flying o- object, gets scoffed at, right? People automatically assume alien when you hear UFO. The truth, of course, is that it's just something you don't know what but it is. These- it could- These
0: were two F-18 pilots, and they described this thing as a sphere encased in a transparent cube.
2: Yes. And now this is – I mean this dovetails right into the Nimitz incident, which up until recently I would call probably the most prominent incident uh, in contemporary history where Commander Fravor, uh, who was another Super Hornet pilot, and his wingman were uh, scrambled more than once – and of four days in 2004 off the coast of California to try to intercept, uh, contacts that this carrier strike group kept getting the Nimitz strike group kept, uh, getting radar feeds or reads of things popping up at around 30,000 feet, dropping down to 5,000 feet, uh, coming to very close to the carrier strike group and then zooming away at hypersonic velocities. And, uh, they thought what they were getting must've been equipment, uh, misreadings,
0: right? You now, because
2: think, Things don't work that way. Right, right, right. You know, So they scrambled fighters multiple times over four days. They captured FLIR footage of these uh, crafts. They saw them with their naked eye. Uh, some of the craziest stuff, you know, so if you're a fighter pilot, uh, not all that different to if you're an infantryman, uh, you're going to establish, okay, so this is where we're going to link up again if we get separated and something goes wrong, right? Uh, I, I can't remember the exact term for it when you're a fighter pilot, but they established one about 60 kilometers away. From where they were headed to intercept, when they got there, uh, those strange uh, tic-tac shaped thing they called it the tic-tac thing that they got there. They tried to bank around to get a closer look at it, and it immediately booked it back to where they said they would meet up, 60 kilometers away, uh, which would infer either you know a really crazy situation, you know, uh, uh, or that it was able to eavesdrop on communications, you know. And so when you hear about a flight like this. People do want to think aliens, right? And yeah, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Occam's Razor, right? Like, so the the theory that requires the fewest assumptions but is what, probably what the correct.
0: fuck is Occam's Razor on a flying tic tac that can read your thoughts, or, or or a sphere encased in a transparent cube? Like, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that.
2: Absolutely, you know. So, so what you would normally, my my. Almost always, my first idea when I hear about a UFO sighting is that it was either a misidentified military aircraft yeah. just because military aircraft operate strange ways compared to the aircraft we're, norm, we're using. Or it's a radar or malfunction. It's a t- I'm sorry. You broke up a bit there. Uh,
0: or it could be a radar malfunction or it could be some sort of natural phenomena that we don't quite understand.
2: Yeah. Or in those really rare situations where it is something that people have never seen before. I'm still more apt to believe that it's a technology demonstrator for a new drone or aircraft. Uh, I mean, Lord knows Lockheed Martin has already insinuated that there are SR-72 tech demonstrators capable of hypersonic speeds. These are triangular-shaped aircraft, which I'm sure anybody out there who's following UFOs casually would know that there's always reports of triangular-shaped aircraft traveling at insane speeds that people tend to attribute to UFOs. That could very easily be hypersonic programs. We've been doing hypersonic stuff since 2004. You know, it's it's not at all outside the realm of possibility. But so then when it's military pilots reporting these, you have to go, all right, so the only way that this is a government program is if someone in the government thought that it would be a good idea to see how super hornets would react to trying to intercept this, which that's not a common practice. That's a dangerous
0: idea. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Idea.
2: Very dangerous. You know? Uh, and especially, you know, in, in these most recent sightings, uh, where you're talking about what would be considered an unsafe and unprofessional encounter. You're talking about uh, flying in between two aircraft that are flying in a close formation at high at a high rate of speed. That is not something that you would do with an experimental drone program to test the limits of your drone because you're putting American lives at risk. yeah, you know. So it makes you go, okay, so what the hell is this? right? Is it a natural phenomenon that we just don't understand yet? Is it, uh, a foreign military technology that's capable of entering our airspace, and we can do little about it. You know, whatever it is, we need to get a handle on what's going on so that we can know if we need to defend ourselves, and if we do, how to defend against it. Especially if it's foreign military technology. Uh, I'm—you'll ne- never catch me. Saying, yeah, man, this one's aliens. <laughs> you know, I—it's—it's uh, it's possible. I, I still think that it's the least likely possibility, but sometimes when you hear reports of like this, when you watch the footage from Commander Fravor's FLIR camera on the nose of his Super Hornet, it's hard to look at that and go, oh, you know what that thing is? That must be a, you know, a Goodyear blimp that somebody mistaked in the distance.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, even when we're talking about these incidents we've been talking about here, even if we say you know, maybe it's a you know, some foreign country has some technology, you know, we're not aware of, like these technologies that it would take to build the things that you're talking about. That's like several generations ahead of what anybody has. And I don't believe for a moment Absolutely. that the Russians built that, um, they're, they're so far behind. I mean, the Russians come to us for technology, the Chinese, they stole, the yeah, the
2: Chinese yeah, stole the Chinese, all of our on the
0: Yeah. The Chinese stole all of our technology. For- um, so they're using our stuff at best. Um, what other country in the world is developing compartmentalized, m- multi-billion or even trillion-dollar aerospace programs?
2: Now there was there was a UFO sighting in Northern California last fall uh, that the Air National Guard scrambled F-15s to try to intercept. They weren't able to get a visual on whatever it was that that provided radar returns. Uh, because whatever it was zoomed out of there, it seemed to be a stealth platform that was giving intermittent radar returns. When it, In the case of things like that, I'm inclined to think that it's a commercial defense contractor testing uh, new platforms, right? But then when you've got trained military aviators, we're not talking about a Cessna pilot who got his license 60 years ago. We're talking about Super Hornet fighter pilots. Now, I, I I've got a buddy who's an F-35 pilot, used to be an F-16 pilot. And he was talking about how, like, the the the, tra- the route that you take to being a fighter pilot is a long and difficult one where a lot of people get yeah. weeded out, right? You're not always weeded out out of aviation, but you may not be a fighter You may be a C-130 pilot. You know, that's what you're better suited for. We're, we're talking about guys who have excellent decision-making skills that are very confident in their ability to observe their environment because their life depends on it you know and are the best trained aviators in the world. America's military aviators have on average 3 times the stick time that Chinese or Russian pilots have. These guys are combat aviators. You know, they they're used to taking fire and looking for enemy aircraft. So when these guys report a sphere encased in a cube flying in between them, I'm not inclined to disregard you know, what, what they're saying. I don't know what to call it. And that, I think that's, that's backed, the reason why it's and, so And it's
0: backed up by instrument readings and
2: so on. Exactly. You know, and, and that's really where I, where I get particularly interested in this stuff. Cause I do think that a lot of UFO sightings are easily dismissed. You know, and I would,
0: I I'm, you know, I'm not a UFO guy, Alex. Um, I do have an interest in, in classified aerospace programs, uh, uh you know, being, you know, the kind of work that I do, of course think that stuff's fascinating i do have kind of a passing interest in these like natural phenomenas like you know ball lightning ball and, lightning uh, yeah
2: absolutely there's some
0: other stuff like high atmosphere effects that um we didn't e- we didn't even have on capture on film until like the 1990s are called like red dwarves um it's basically like um it looks sort of like heat lightning but it's red and it goes up into our up, upper atmosphere so it's like satellites will catch them um it, it's like this just uh giant red flash in our upper atmosphere and it's, yeah, a, it's
2: and, and you know and there's other crazy things we just recently started getting i think they call them phantom morgana but uh you know optical illusions that can make it look like a city is in the clouds oh you really know, or it can make it look like ships are flying in the sky as opposed to uh, on the water but and i i important for us to remember that our eyes aren't What you see is not really actually an accurate representation of real life, right? It's what the best your brain could do as fast as it can.
0: Right. right? It's like Plato putting the uh, the wooden stick into the water, and and you can see, and and underwater it looks like the stick is bending, but obviously you know it isn't. You know, hence an optical illusion. Perception
2: is not necessarily reality. Absolutely. Just and you know, and obviously, eyewitness testimony is, is inherently flawed. But there comes a point. Yeah. You can no longer disregard these because you think they're silly. You know? And at that point, you need to at least seriously consider what is in our airspace and how do we go about countering it if we needed to. And uh, but I think that's what's one thing that's really interesting to come of this, like Luis Elizondo, who was the head of ATIP, the advanced aerospace threat identification program uh, that was running in the Pentagon, it was funded between two thousand seven and two thousand twelve, but continued to run. And It probably continues to run now under the auspices of a different name, uh, but they—they they were the Pentagon's arm of investigating military reports of unusual sightings, along with like a bunch of other stuff that I think was a little crazy and probably why they got defunded. Uh, but the biggest thing that people aren't talking about coming from this is the the revelation that the Pentagon was funding that program. Uh, the recent announcements that the Navy is establishing procedures to try to explore these sightings is a pretty good argument in favor of the fact that the government does not know what these things are, is not involved in some far-reaching, broad alien conspiracy. Roswell probably did not produce in life that we locked in a room and studied. I think that what we're seeing is, you know, everybody's always talking about disclosure. They want the government to disclose what they know. I think what we're seeing here is that the government really does not know very much. You know, they're, they want to understand what the hell this stuff is, what they're saying. Uh, but to this point, I don't think that we've got any little green men, uh, locked in any rooms. I don't think that we're reverse engineering UFOs because if we were, we wouldn't find these programs. And, you know,
0: I, I mean, the other side of this uh, is yes, uh, the, I don't personally believe that there have ever been extraterrestrials visiting earth, Unless you get down to, like, you know, this whole theory that, like, maybe alien bacteria seeded the Earth from a meteorite. You know, there's that maybe something like that could have happened. But um, I I don't believe in little green men. But these encounters you're describing, there's an implied intelligence behind whatever these
2: constructs are. You know, and it makes perfect sense to me. Like, let's say these are extraterrestrial in origin. It is exactly what we would do. This is what we do. We send Mars rovers. You know, Curiosity is the that we could muster, but if we could manage a hypersonic speed sphere surrounded by a cube, we would have gone with that instead. You know, uh, that's exactly what we would do to explore things like this. I do think that if aliens are visiting Earth and if abduction stories are real and things like that, uh, it's again our ego that assumes. Uh, a lot about their interest in us. I think it's much more akin to, if it is real at all, which I'm not really sold on, it's a lot more like when we fly over, you know, the African savannah in a helicopter and, and come down and tag it and then fly away. We don't meet with the rhino's elders to request permission to study them. We fly over, we zap them, tag them, and leave. Yeah,
0: but I mean, if you have a civilization that has technology so advanced they can do, you know, faster-than-light travel they don't need to abduct human beings and, and probe our anuses. Like, uh, like their technology is way beyond that. Like, they can probably scan you from atmosphere and, and get all the readings they need.
2: Uh, absolutely. Although the question would be, why bother? You know what I mean? Uh, why bother study us at all? Yeah, yes. yeah. I yeah. who gives a, could, a shit? You could, you, or a bunch you of know, monkeys. I suppose you. Yeah, you could argue any life studying, and that may well be that you know. And if it is automated being, uh. If you are capable of sending a prayer at faster than level, resources are probably not a concern, right? So sending it here isn't a big. Deal. I'm still just again, it's one of those things where, you know, there's there's kind of a crazy crackpot theory about Roswell that said that Stalin actually smuggled Josef Mengele uh, out of Nazi Germany. Oh, I
0: saw that hired
2: him to cr- right to create oh my God. like weird uh, you know, manipulate that they put in what was effectively a Nazi bell, uh, so that they could fly it to America and crash it and try to put America into a frenzy, uh, which would, you know, weaken our position. I suppose, uh, you know, on the global stage, it sounds like such a ludicrous concept. But whenever I bring it up, especially when I'm talking to other guys that that believe in in alien visitation and stuff, when I bring that up and they tell me it's ridiculous, I always have to counter with. What sounds more ridiculous? (laughs) You know, that Stalin hired a guy that we know did medical experiments to load some weird looking kids into a drone and crash it into Roswell, which is outlandish, or that some species managed to master faster than light travel, came here over what could potentially be thousands of light years just to crash on a guy's farm in Nevada.
0: I'm thinking both of those are, are ridiculous, but um, I I want to I agree. Well, you you do have my uh, caught my interest with these with these um, incidents, which are you know recorded by the Navy and seem quite credible, and we're kind of like throwing the bullshit card at extraterrestrials, we're calling the bu- we're throwing the bullshit card at, you know, Russia and China that that, that it couldn't have been them. We're kind of throwing the so bullshit. So that begs card. the hard
2: question then. Right? Know, the what, hard question yeah. is so then what do we think it is? Yeah, what the fuck is it? I have no idea. That's and that's honestly that's the reason why I'm I I really like the fact that the Navy and the Pentagon are engaging with this. Although I don't doubt that to a certain extent there's always been some level of engagement. But uh, there's there's no feasible explanation for what these people are reporting, right? Which leads you to either say uh, the reports are erroneous. You know, these guys were not seeing what they claim they saw, and the technical readings have been faked, which I don't think is possible, or at least very unlikely. The other thing is that there's something going on that we don't understand. It could be man-made. It could be something else. The only possible explanations at this point are either The military is openly and directly lying to us with firsthand accounts and tech facts and stuff that they don't need to release, uh, but have opted to. And if they are, what's the motive and the intent? Or the other side of it is, is that we really don't know what stuff is. really did happen. In which case uh, we have some really hard questions to you. Neither of those are really will help you sleep at night.
0: You have to wonder, like, is there an office in like sub basement five of the Pentagon and, you know, it's like three guys working for some, like, compartmentalized program, and, like, maybe they have some working theory, finally, of what this phenomena is, and they're just, like, looking at each other like, yeah, okay, this is what it is, but we kind of got to keep this shit under wraps right now. Like, you can't tell people this.
2: You know, that was the Behind Tom DeLong's To The Stars Academy, this whole thing that's going on, uh, if anybody's not savvy to it, Tom DeLonge, who used to be like the, I think the guitar player for Blink-182, uh, is obsessed with aliens and UFOs. Uh, so we established this To The Stars Academy, which is a company that has now hired a lot of legitimate heavyweight, you know, heavy hitters. You know, Luis Elizondo, who used to run Tip, works for him. Uh, there's a deputy, a former deputy director of the CIA on his staff. Uh, a number of State Department and CIA officials on his staff. And uh, early on, they were really advertising this concept that these people that they had recruited, these former officials that they had recruited, knew more than they were allowed to tell us. And the idea behind To The Stars was to try to force uh, disclosure uh, from the government of these things. As To The Stars has developed, now there's going to be a new show on the History Channel with them, uh, it seems increasingly like they don't actually have any information <laughs> that they're trying to release or give anyone. Like what? What the? Fuck, like,
0: what the fuck would the CIA even know about it? Like they do strategic intelligence. Like uh, exactly.
2: You know. Uh, so I, I really think that to the Stars Academy is ultimately maybe a group of government officials who saw bits and pieces of interesting things along the way. trying to stay relevant. You know, and uh, and you know maybe there really is some really interesting evidence that the government has gathered that is still classified. That seems absolutely possible to me. But I don't think explanations. I don't think that the government knows what this is. If they did know what it was, we wouldn't throw money at it. You know, uh, And if we did, maybe we would throw money at it just for the sake of a disinformation campaign. But even that just seems silly to me. It would be Make more sense for them to maintain the storyline that they did all through the 90s, which is uh, if you believe in UFOs, you're only one step away from being a Holocaust denier, right? Uh, The idea that all – these are links of leaving one, you're crazy.
0: And it it makes sense for the military to perpetuate like UFO conspiracies in the sense that it, it's a good cover for you know classified programs. Because if someone sees an area triangle, someone
2: like, is traded on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. If know? someone sees a flying triangle, you're like, oh yeah, man, UFOs, UFOs. oh you, remember, you thought you, thought you I saw an when alien? I was a
2: kid. You know, we had these ideas of like this fighter is what we called it before. The United States acknowledged the F-117 was an operational aircraft, right? That's a, tr- a triangle in the sky. We've been doing this for a long time. You know, The best thing that you can do is convince people that we've got a hangar full of aliens out at Area 51. Because then people are looking for UFOs instead of whatever we were testing, the U-2, the SR-71, the F-117. All of these platforms got tested out there. Uh, but we weren't reporting on that, so that we weren't providing open source intel to the entire world. Instead, or you know, we were out there looking for bright lights that we could attribute to ET. But you know, for, it's a great campaign.
0: But for the for the Navy to have pilots, um, you know, concoct these stories as as disinformation that they had. It's these just not inc- feasible. It, it doesn't make sense. Like who who who's the disinformation waged at? Uh, directed at and to what ends, like it, it, and
2: to what ends? That's know. always the important thing to consider: is to at what to what end, right? Like just the to confuse motive.
0: the situation, uh, get, introduce doubt. I, I don't. I, I
2: just can't see that. You know, all messaging comes with motive, right? Yeah. Anytime, anytime someone with a significant reach. Send something out there in the world. Even if you're a news outlet, whatever you are, all messaging has a motive. Motive isn't inherently nefarious, but, but there's always a motive present. So what would be the motive there? Yeah. You know? It's also, I think, it's fair to ask what's the motive in in telling us anything at all about this. And knowing our military
0: too, I mean, can you imagine like some guy in a black trench coat going to a fighter squadron, like, here's what you're gonna do, boys. Your exactly. pilots are gonna work. In you're gonna world. make up a story of a flying cube, and the pilots are gonna look at him like he has a syphilitic dick growing out of his forehead, and they're like, get the fuck out of here, pal.
2: Yeah, but by the time that dude in the black suit left the room, he would have already been on. Dude's Facebook Live, their phones were out and they were recording the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like uh, a couple of months ago, the Marine Corps built a fake Chinese uh Chengdu J20. You know, they're their fifth generation fighter. That's not all that good. Uh they built a fake one and it was parked uh for just like maybe five minutes outside a hangar in Georgia. Uh here in Georgia. I want to say this was maybe four months ago. It was outside. Five minutes. I got pictures from three different people of this J twenty <laughs> because people were like, There's a Chinese fifth generation fighter jet parked in Georgia right now, sending me pictures of this. The uh which is a great outlet if you're a military aviation guy, they beat me to the punch. They had they had a piece up about it maybe 15 minutes before I did. It took 30 minutes for the world to find out that the Marine Corps had built a mock J20 because they pulled it out of a hangar and parked it there for five minutes.
0: Did they ever figure out why they built it?
2: Yeah. What the Marine Corps was using it for was basically for optical targeting systems, uh, so that they would have something that's an approximation of the targeting systems Uh, against, or at least that's the story they provided. Yeah, that could be, Uh, you know, yeah, totally feasible. I don't think it's an operational aircraft. I think that it's just something you can park on the tarmac so that you can fly over it and see how good you shoot it. Uh, but if you can't keep a J twenty a secret, you are not going to keep Roswell a secret. You're not like if if you were telling these pilots to give us this information as a part of a disinfo campaign. It's not. It's the same argument of why you couldn't fake the moon landing. You can't take that many people and expect them to never tell the truth. You know, especially when they have such to gain, telling the truth in this situation. Commander Favor, you know the guy from the 2004 Nimitz incident to come out now and say, the government told me to say that to you, that dude would have an, an immediate multi-million dollar book deal. You know? If he could prove that the government was using him to cover up something nefarious by using UFOs, you know, he's going to get a long-time original movie about made about him at the very least. He's going to do well. You know, so I, I just I can't accept the idea that these guys are faking it. I don't think it's bullshit, which begs the question, if it's not bullshit, what is it?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. That's a that's a that boggles the mind. It's one of those things where like I, I don't dispute that something there's some sort of phenomena taking place, you know. I don't doubt that, but it doesn't fucking make sense.
2: Yeah, like I keep going, I don't think it's aliens, I don't think it's natural phenomenon, I don't think it's drones, I don't think it's manned aircraft, I don't think it's Chinese, and I don't think it's Russian, I don't think it's American. I'm all out of things that I could think it is. So that means either I'm wrong about one of those. Or just like we were talking about how, you know, in Iran or North Korea, they can't grasp the concept of life outside of their own systems. Maybe we can't grasp the concept. We're, we're so locked into our concepts of aircraft that, are, that we're not seeing, you know, the forest of the trees. I I don't know. I honestly have no idea. But I'm glad that we're talking about it, you know?
0: Did, have any of the pilots offered any thoughts on what they think they encountered up there?
2: Commander Fraber from the Nimitz incident is at, at now. It's been a few years, you know, since uh, because actually Fighter Sweep, believe it or not, which is another uh, website owned by the same parent company, Fighter Sweep actually broke the Nimitz incident uh, years ago. Uh, it got very little attention. I didn't for know it, that. Yeah, yeah, it got very little attention for it. But it was actually the first outlet with uh, unconfirmed the pilots that were that spoke to the writer didn't want to provide their names. Uh, they didn't want their names published. Uh, but the fighter suit was the first outlet to talk about the Nimitz incident. But uh, Commander Fravor has since now, he, he says, just like Luis Elizondo, they're careful about how they choose their words, but they're like, I don't think it was from Earth. I'm not saying I believe in aliens, but I believe in, I don't know what I believe in, but I don't think it was from Earth. And I think that that's what we're talking about them coming to the same conclusion that you and I are, which is, I, you know, I went through this list of things that it feasibly could be. It doesn't seem to be any of those things. So what could it be? It doesn't seem to be something from our neck of the woods.
0: If, you I mean, know? if if anything, okay, if it did come, if it is not of Earth, you know, we have these ideas about how we would colonize Mars, like, or, or other planets, and probably the way we would do it is send a bunch of robots over there first, and like scope the yep. place out and they would like start building, you know, they would at least start building the buildings and things like that for us. Maybe if if we were good enough, we would send everything over to start terraforming the planet um, and build an atmosphere there so that by the time human beings show up, you know, you have a little colony that's ready to go.
2: Well, it depends on how many layers of tinfoil you want me to add to my hat, Yeah, uh, but there is a, a, a large contingent of UFO researchers who do believe that that's exactly what's going on. Uh, they they're, contend they're,
0: that, that they would be probing uh, just to see what's here, what could be done, you know?
2: Well, even, even further, they think that the reason why uh, so many abduction stories involve sexual uh, tests like uh, removing women's eggs, making men ejaculate... You know, things like that. What they argue is that the Greys, uh, which are like, you know, the pop culture aliens, uh, they argue that they are able to live on our planet and are trying to create hybrids that could better survive on our planet. Uh, Now, again, this is what I mean about how many layers of tinfoil do you want to add? This is how every conspiracy eventually ties to one another. And
0: it sounds sounds downright Freudian. I got abducted by aliens. They made me ejaculate.
2: You know, exactly. Lord knows it wasn't a weird dream. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm not crazy. And, and, I'm not, and you know, but, uh, and, but this is exactly what I mean, is that, uh, you know, any subject, no matter how seriously you want to take it, you can eventually bring back the crackpot stuff. But it's especially easy when you're talking about UFOs. So you and I you and I are talking about like legitimate reports from from military aviators that are backed up, you know, with with technical information and we are always just 1 degree of Kevin Bacon away from, you know, the the greys are, are are fucking us so that they can live here better. And that's why it's so easy to dismiss this subject because we know so little that it's so easy to get so weird with it. If,
0: right? I mean, if it's if it's accurate and there are pilots and they're seeing these craft and they're seeing a a sphere encased in a transparent cube. My opinion, uh, I I mean, I've kind of laid out what I don't think that something like that would be us. I don't think it would be any foreign country. I I would have to say that like by process of elimination, that, that, that must be some sort of a drone that was sent here to basically to scope us out and just see what the hell is going on here.
2: Yes, and this is my problem because to me, logically, that's the only thing that I can really attribute it to, but I have trouble stomaching saying that's what I think it is. You know, (laughs) like, I have a lot of, and I've, you know, I've studied this. I I actually wrote once for Newsrep about this. This all started because Stanton Friedman, who just passed away last week, uh, he's he's a renowned UFO researcher. Uh, He was a part of legitimate government uh, research efforts for a long time uh, and was a devoted skeptic. And uh, through his efforts with the government to investigate some of these reports, convinced himself not to be a skeptic. But he always took a very hard-lined approach to UFOs, which is why a lot of people don't know his name. Uh, he's not a Giorgio Succolos who's going to gel up his hair and say it's aliens. You know, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a legitimate hard-nosed researcher, so he's not all that famous because he's reluctant to say things that are crazy. Uh, or was, excuse me. He just passed away. But I had the opportunity. I was in a talented and gifted class for my writing when I was in, like, fifth grade. And uh, we had to choose what we were going to write our reports about. I just chose you flying saucers and UFOs because I thought they were cool. And I called him, and he took my call. That's awesome. He sent me a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and like, was a really, really nice guy. I'm like, I was like an 11-year-old. He didn't need to talk to me, you know? And uh, it sent me, I would say, cascading. That's you know, cool. Like, For years to come. But uh the truth of the matter is that this is something that we've been talking about uh through artwork since we started making artwork. Yeah. You know, that's not to say that whatever people were drawing in cave paintings are the same things that we're spotting in the skies now. But what it is to say is that we've always wondered about the weird shit we see in the sky. Yeah. You know? And uh now we may be better suited than ever to actually understand what it is, but there's a solid possibility that we're still not there. you know? It might be a you know uh, tech, sufficiently advanced technologies indiscernible from magic, right? Uh, it may well be, if you're right, you know if if the logical explanation is that this is a drone from something else, um it might seem so impossible just because if your civilization started evolving a million years before ours, your technology would be indiscernible from magic to us. Yeah. You know? Uh, I just, I have trouble. It's the same way, you know, I'm happy to read about and discuss ghosts, but I don't know that I believe in God even, let alone ghosts. Uh, It's because it's it's a worthwhile exploration of how we perceive the world around us, even if it turns out to be bullshit. You know? In this case, I don't think it's bullshit, though. I mean, these these uh, these reports. I mean, this footage isn't bullshit, if you ask me. I don't know what it is, though.
0: Oh, I mean, if it's not from Earth, I mean, that is like the biggest paradigm shifting discovery in human history by far.
2: And that's the reason why we're never going to conclude that it's not from Earth until we have no choice, right? right. But but to conclude that, you know, in uh, movies and stuff, it always seems like the aliens arrive and we all go, "Oh shit, there's aliens now." Uh, in real life, the aliens would arrive and half the world would immediately believe that it was the United States doing something crazy or this is part of Russia's strategy or it's the New World Order and the Illuminati and these are holograms.
0: Uh, I mean, if we if we are to speculate about, you know, a civilization that, you know, entered their process of evolution a million years prior to us, I mean, we we also have to like think about, you know, maybe that civilization exists only as artificial intelligence today. Like maybe they did give up, you know, they, they have moved into a new stage of life forms or w- whatever the fuck. I don't know.
2: It seems absolutely feasible. You know, like if you just, but again, you know, we're limited by our, by our ideas of what life is too. You know what I mean? But uh, I guess that's what it really comes down to is that it's kind of like, you know, cause I know you've written a lot of fiction, right? Yeah. Uh, before you sit down to write a novel, Literally anything could happen in that novel, and that's what stops a lot of fiction writers from starting. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Because you have a million ideas, but none of them really seem to go together all that well. You know, so you just kind of like you, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing. That's where we're at with UFOs: is that we know so little about what the hell this is. Uh, that some people just go, uh, uh, "It doesn't make any sense," you know. Uh, there's a thing. This is a little unrelated. Phantom time theory is the idea that. Uh, during Charlemagne's reign, uh, he and the church had control over so much of the Western literate population uh, that they actually invented about 180 years of history that painted <sighs> really? them in a, in a better place. Uh, and because all we can really do for history at that of that era is trust. If we get six different sources that all you know say the same thing happened, we assume it just happened. You know, but if 90 percent of all the literate people in the world are your employee. You can have them write anything that you want. Again, this is one of those things that doesn't necessarily – I'm not necessarily saying I believe it's true. It's an interesting idea. But when I talk to my wife about it, she just goes, no, you, you can't invent time. Time just stays steady. I don't want to wrap my head around this. I'm turning it off. It's a conversation she won't have. Well,
0: it's like one of the like if somebody like Pol Pot or or you know even if the Chinese government is successful in some of their uh, you know endeavors and what amounts to social engineering and human engineering. I mean,
2: yeah, it seems seems totally possible. Wasn't
0: like George Orwell wrote about that kind of stuff? Like you know, if you control the past, you you know, if you control the present, you can rewrite the past and control the future.
2: You know, Attila the Hun wasn't that great a military leader. He was effective. Uh, but he didn't become a legend until almost two generations after he was defeated. And it was the family of the general that defeated him that made him a legend.
0: Oh, to blow because, up their accomplishments.
2: Exactly. They were a prominent family and they made themselves all the more prominent by by painting this image of Attila the Hun as the most incredible military leader of that generation, defeated by our grandfather. You know, and so when you think about the power that that had, you know, when you think about the fact that here in America, parents still tell their kids that carrots are good for their eyes when that's all just a a product of a World War II era UK propaganda campaign. And there's no basis behind the idea that carrots will help your night vision at all, other than if you have a B12 deficiency, you'll have trouble seeing. Uh, But we still believe it's true because that's how heavily culture informs the way we see the world, you know.
0: Damn, dude. Well, this is some crazy shit that we usually don't get into on the podcast. I know this
2: podcast, like it's usually military stuff and you guys let me on and I really drug you down into the gutter here. No, no. I mean, <laughs>
0: but- <laughs> uh, I agree with you that I like, I'm glad that there, and I, I'm actually, I would definitely welcome any kind of like serious scientific scrutiny on the, on this, you know, UFO phenomena to try to figure out, you know, what the fuck it really is. And, you know, And, and, you know, maybe it'll end up keeping our fighter pilots out of trouble, too. Um, Sounds like some dangerous scenarios that are happening
2: up there. I mean, I guess, you know what I mean? And this is the problem I have is that are they dangerous scenarios? Is, you know, and is this real? You know, are they optical illusions? Is it nothing more than light tricks of light? Who knows, man? And, And but but like you said, I'm glad that people are looking into it because if it does pose a threat, if it really does pose a threat to America's sovereignty or we can get crazy with it and say global sovereignty, that's a, that's a legitimate concern that might sound outlandish right up until it's on your doorstep. You know. And there was, a certain, there was a time when we would have thought that terrorists hijacking commercial airplanes and flying them into the World Trade Center was an outlandish and impossible thing. You know, there's a reason why the Oklahoma City bombing was able to happen because the cameras on the outside weren't actually hooked up to anything. They had saved a bunch of money in building construction because they didn't want the building to look scary. And that's why so many children died in the blast because it seemed absolutely impossible that an American man would park a U-Haul full of explosives out front and walk away. You know, we can't afford to ignore threats, even if they seem impossible. And I'm not saying that I believe that Martians are here. I'm not saying that I believe that UFOs are a threat. But I am saying that if they are, we owe it to ourselves to take a look. You know?
0: If they are, I mean, I just hope that they, you know, make me ejaculate and don't do any of that other crazy stuff to me.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, if they do come here, we're not going to be dealing with like an interstellar army like the movies always say. It'll be the fucking Orkin man. It'll be. You know, like if they're capable of getting here, they're not going to need to come down here and fight us with space rifles.
0: Yeah, it'll be like Thanos. Uh, yeah, exactly. Zap his fingers, we're all dead.
2: Yeah, so so hope for the best. Let's just hope that they're here to tag and release. I them. remember
0: my friend. My friend uh, was telling me he's a uh, he's a rocket scientist, and he. Uh, was, you remember a few years ago where the astronomers found a star and they were wondering if it was really a Dyson sphere that, that was like yeah a theory yeah that was because going it around. was
2: uh like it was pulsing at an irregular rate uh, consistently right
0: something like that and my friend was telling me he's like dude if they really discovered a Dyson sphere he's like just get down on your knees and worship your new ruler because yeah it's, it's game over. Uh, you know, and a Dyson it, sphere for like people who don't know, like what it would be like an artificial construct um, built around a sun. Like you it would
2: encapsulate an entire star and, and then you, you would build all of its energy
0: and you would build your civilization probably like somewhere inside that sphere.
2: For you Star Trek, the next generation fans, there's one episode where Scotty from the original series was trapped uh, in a shuttle craft that got sucked into the gravitational pull from a Dyson sphere. Uh, and as silly as all that sounds, it does give you a fun way to look at the scope of what a Dyson sphere would have to be. It would have to be literally uh, something built physically that would be about the size of Earth's orbit. Right. You know that's. But so if a if a civilization were capable of that, they're capable of anything. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. You know? It's game over, man. Yeah, the, the idea that we would be fighting them with uh, fighter jets like we were in Independence Day is an absolutely ludicrous proposition. <laughs> we already know how to kill everyone on Earth with our technology. You know, like if you think that they're going to come here with something that won't work as well as nuclear weapons, you know, it's it, it's – Again, it's you know, Amer- uh, not American human ego, right? We're we're big brained monkeys, but we think that we're much more special than that.
0: Yeah, we like to anthropomorphize, you know, these sorts of threats as well. You know, um. So anyway, to wrap things up, di- uh, did you go and see Endgame yet?
2: I did. I actually, well, uh, just between us, I, I may have seen it a little bit illegally. Uh, you know how it is being a parent, but uh, yeah. I honestly, I loved it. It wasn't. I guess it wasn't the story that I expected, and that's why I loved it. But, yeah, I loved it. What would you think?
0: I liked it. I uh, went and saw it last week. Uh, or, no, I saw it on over the weekend. And, uh, no, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, it, time travel I, plots are always kind of difficult to maneuver. I think I, my favorite is still the X-Men uh, Days of the Future Past. I like that a little bit better as far as, like, the time travel aspect. But uh, I'd and, agree. Endgame was good. That. Endgame was good.
2: I did not like, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Endgame. I didn't like Cap's conclusion. You didn't? Uh, I didn't. You know, in a weird way, it made me sadder than any of the rest of it. But that wasn't why. I didn't like it because it begged a lot of, like, really weird, hard questions. Like, how how did he manage to maintain a relationship with his wife without telling her about 9-11? You know what I mean? Or, like, trying in any way... It would have been really hard for him to be Captain America, living through all the disasters that befell yeah, yeah. America, uh, without ever getting involved at all. Uh, but other than that, I thought it, I, I did like that he got a good story, a good ending. But you know what I mean. I,
0: I got the impression that like. He was just like going off grid like he was just going to live with his old lady in, you know and with a white picket fence and like never read the newspaper and like totally Which honestly man
2: that sounds good I wouldn't mind doing that myself.
0: Yeah. There there were all kinds of like little potholes and stuff like that like how come when you get the Infinity Gauntlet or whatever the fuck it is like how you can wish whatever you want it's like the ultimate god weapon but you can bring half the world's population back to life, but then there are these other people you can't bring back to life. Like how the fuck does that work?
2: Well, you know, the same way, uh, the red skull, you know, and in, in the, the first Avenger, the red skull grabbed, uh, one of the infinity stones and was immediately sucked off to dormier or whatever to just be like a sad old man that takes people to watch them kill their daughters. Uh, but then which infers that these infinity stones have, uh, some level of intelligence or autonomy, but then they don't have any say in whether or not Thanos uses them to destroy the universe. You know, it's a, it's true. There's definitely some plot holes, but I try my best uh, when I'm watching movies like that, I try my best to talk myself out of plot holes. Cause how do you make 22 movies without creating a lot of them? You know? Uh, And I like liking things, you know? So I try my best to be like, ah, just ignore that and keep going. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, there were some parts that didn't really make sense, but I I guess they were kind of playing up on, you know, the, the idea that time isn't necessarily a place. So like there are all these theories about traveling laterally through time rather than back and forth. So it's like, you're actually going to another dimension essentially. Um, but uh, where it's like a parallel timeline, you're not really literally going back into your past. Like that's, uh, that's actually not possible.
2: Yeah. Which I think is one of my favorite theories for time travel in general. But I think what I liked about that too, is that they did incorporate a lot of like scientific theory, but it was also an absolutely almost ludicrous idea, you know, which is a lot more like the comic books. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It bridged the gap between the movie world and the comic book world for me in a way that that I could accept. Admittedly, I'm going to need to watch it again a little more sober to, to come up with some like with like a real re- legitimate review.
0: Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a good way to like wrap up the series because, you know, throwing the time travel stuff in them, it, it, it allowed them to like revisit all of these different moments um, throughout the whole like Avengers timeline and all the Marvel Universe movies and stuff like that and kind of like wrap it all up. Um, and like and also like re- they revisited some past scenes with a different spin on them and things like that. It was, it was kind of cool how they did that.
2: Yeah, and and I liked Robert Downey Jr.'s departure. You know, I really, honestly, though, I expected him to live through the end just because uh, he makes so much money in these movies. I figured he'd want to stick around and keep doing it for as long as he could.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that was his decision or the studios. I think Captain America. What was that na- the actor's name? I think he was done. He was Chris like, Evans. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, can I you know. imagine
2: having to keep your body fat that low for this long? I would hate it. <laughs> you know what's
0: his so, face uh hemsworth i'm sure was wearing a bodysuit though
2: yeah well honestly i think he's one of the few guys from the original uh like avengers crew i think that'll probably i think we're gonna get a thor four because yeah. thor one and two weren't all that good and, and Ra- three ragnarok, was
0: ragnarok was fucking awesome he's it gonna, was great he's yeah. gonna
1: end up with the because the, the last the last we see of him he's with the guardians of the yeah, galaxy yeah. so it's gonna be like the uh the as guardians of the galaxies and that's his new role he's gonna be like the the fat, funny guy on the, uh, on the ship, <laughs> which is, which is awesome.
2: And the Asgardians of the galaxy really was a comic book for a while. It was different. People. I, I think
1: it is again.
0: Now, is it again now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe you guys are right about that. Um, I, I actually, uh, I've seen Hemsworth in person. He's actually a really small guy. Like really? Yeah. In the movies, he looks fucking jacked and, and, I, yeah, and I'm sure huge. See, that surprises me. I'm sure he's in really good shape, you know, in the, in the when he does the films and stuff, but like, He's just a, a, like a short, skinny guy. Yeah,
2: that's always like, cause I'm I'm a guy. I like to lift weights. I don't really like cardio, you know. But uh, that's always the thing that's bummed me out when I've met like guys in movies and TV shows. Is you know I'm six foot. I'm about two forty. I'm a pretty big dude, and they're always tiny. You know, and I I want these guys that are heroes on TV to be big. No,
0: this guy is a fraction of your size, Alex. I mean, he was he was like half of my size and I'm not a big guy by any
2: means. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Like I had the opposite experience meeting pro football players. Like when I met Wes Welker, uh, he used to play for the Patriots. When I met him, Uh, I expected him to be a tiny little man because on TV he is uh, because pro football players (laughs) are just gigantic. And when I met him, he was like my size. I mean, I, I was heavier than him. But he was just a few inches shorter than me and yoked. And I was like, Wes Welker could kick my ass. And he looks like a child on TV. Uh, I,
0: I met um, uh, Randy Couture and Ken Shamrock one time. And like, they're both big dudes. Like, Ken Shamrock is short, but he's, he's wide. Like, he is built, he's a big guy.
2: Yeah, actually, I met Randy Couture last year. There's a—I just posted a picture on Instagram a few days ago of me and Randy Couture, and he's about my size. And like I said, I'm six foot two forty. I'm yeah. a pretty big dude. Yeah, yeah. So he's a big dude. Yeah, for sure.
1: The scariest and- ones are basketball players because, like, you watch it on TV, and, and the shortest guys are six feet. So when yeah. you see, when you see like, like Michael Jordan is six six, and you and know he's, he's a little he's guy. An average. He's an average basketball player, and then all of a sudden you see him in person at six six, and you're like. Big hey dude. man, cool shoulders. Like where's the rest of your head?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I, I saw Dwayne Johnson. I didn't meet him. I saw him in a crowd once uh, from like maybe 50 yards away, but I was able to see him in the crowd easily because the bottom of his neck was higher than everyone else's head. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> you know? He's a,
0: he's a fucking huge dude, isn't he?
2: He's a giant. Well, I mean, I think he's like six foot five, wow. which isn't that crazy. But if you're six foot five, but you also look Jacked. that big. Yeah. You know, because it's harder to put muscle on a longer frame. You know what I mean? And he looks huge at 6'5". It's because he's actually like a garbage truck walking around. <laughs> like, it's a giant, giant man. You know? But, but then, you know, you hear about guys like uh, Tom Cruise. Or I just watched uh, Baywatch Unrated, you know, the Dwayne Johnson movie that Baywatch is in. And in a lot of scenes, Zach Efron is, like, talking directly to Dwayne Johnson's face. Almost like they're similarly tall. Right. And and so I had to look it up because my wife thinks Zac Efron's hot, so I hate him, of course. Uh, <laughs> dude's five foot seven; he's literally a full foot shorter than Dwayne Johnson. So he, he's
0: standing on top of a box when he talks to Dwayne.
2: Yeah, like Tom Cruise has spent his entire career, right? It's yeah, like, yeah.
0: He 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 must be wearing like corrective shoes to get him. That was the
1: the thing with Pacino. They got um that new Scorsese film coming out, like what's it called the Irishman or something like that. Oh, really? No, I haven't seen um, the trailer. I think it's yeah, coming out on Netflix in October. I want to say it's like. Scorsese, Pacino, um, De- oh, De Niro is the guy. Then De- they had a shot of the, um, like a still from from the set, and De Niro is in like platforms that would make any woman in the seventies blush. Like, really, they, like <laughs> like eight inch platforms, just huge. And you're like, all right, I guess. I mean, if you're gonna make them look six two, and you're five six, like how? Either you stand on a box or. You wear shoes. Wait,
0: but this movie's called The Irishman. you got De Niro and Pacino. It was I know, some, right?
1: <laughs> it's what the fuck? Can I get some representation in Hollywood, please? I forget. It's it's a it's a famous mobster. Oh, it's the Jimmy Hoffa story. Um, it's uh, the okay. guy that kills okay. Jimmy Hoffa, gotcha. whoever okay. he is, and it's about that. Um, and that's yeah, that's
2: fair. Well, what's but I'm th- not I'm not surprised at all, man. I mean, Mark Wahlberg, from what I heard, is only like five seven or five eight as well. You know, because when you when you have like Mark Wahlberg's got kind of like a stocky, tough guy build. That stocky, tough guy build doesn't really usually come in six-foot-tall packages, right. you know. But when you know you're playing opposite, you know, an actress who's five foot eleven and is wearing heels or so her calves look right on camera, you got to put Mark Wahlberg in some fucking <laughs> platform shoes, man. You know, <laughs> otherwise Charlize Theron's gonna make him look tiny. <laughs>
0: like. All right, man. I think uh, we've probably gone for like two hours, and uh, we've like gone around the world like several <laughs> times. Like this is uh,
2: this is the weirdest podcast I've this, ever done. This is <laughs> the
0: weirdest podcast any of us have ever done. And uh, this is like uh, this is like one of those weird like Joe Rogan podcasts where they're
2: smoking. Very, meat. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Yeah, feel. Right.
0: Except I, all I've had to drink is a cup of coffee today. So I mean, I don't, I e- I don't even. I'm have over that here excuse. drinking
2: Walmart Clear American Wild Cherry Sparkling Water. So you know, I'm getting wild. <laughs> you're all hopped up on goofballs over there alex exactly exactly uh, we'll, have, we'll do this again sometime with uh with more alcohol and then yeah we'll see man we'll uh, we can
0: we'll have. do the batman superman episode i'm sure there are some there are some listeners that will probably get a kick out of it there's probably a lot will be like jack you need to just stick to what you're good at and, and stop fucking around um but we'll do that we'll get to that at, at some point uh anyone got any final thoughts to throw out before we wrap this thing up
2: well, I'll throw in all my plugs here. If, uh, yeah. if you were interested in my unique brand of rambling, you can find it uh, on Facebook uh, at Alex Hollings Writer, on Twitter at Alex Hollings 52. You can also go to my website, alexhollings.com, And of course, check out the loadout room every day. We've got new gear reviews going up, lots of video content. And, uh, you know, and we're really happy to have you guys there. If you want to chime in in the comments down below, I'm always keeping tabs. So uh, come pay us a visit.
0: Right on, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we will do it again soon. I'm going to have to, like I said, take my notes, get out the yellow legal pad. Um, but we'll do like the epic superhero episode one of these days. That
2: would be a blast. I would yeah. love it. Absolutely.
0: Um, in the meantime, let's see. I got a few things I'm working on for the website. But really the only thing I have to plug is uh, is the same as usual in my book. Uh, so Murphy's Law is out there if you guys want to go and check it out. The audio book is out kindle ebook however you guys want it you can obtain it and leave a review I, and leave a review good better or different please
2: i can't you. i can't recommend it enough honestly guys i read a lot of bad veteran writing uh and then <laughs> and this is not know, it you know especially because you know a lot of times guys will release books and i'm like well i really want to hear his story and you can tell this person's not a storyteller you know uh the story might still be good What's great about Jack's book is that Jack's stories are incredible and Jack is also a storyteller. It's really, it's hard to put the book down. Well, I can't recommend it. Well, enough. I
0: will say there's no ghostwriter on the book. Like I wrote the whole fucking thing myself. So that's probably part of the reason like, um, like, uh, Remy Adele, when we had him on the other day, he said the same thing. I respect him for that because he's like, yeah, no ghostwriter. I wrote this book myself,
2: you know? And it's true. Cause when, when you hire a ghostwriter, a lot of times a lot of the edge is lost because the ghostwriter doesn't, know the experiences that you have a lot of times they're not even military you know and they're they're working with notes and your book's awesome man i'm honestly like i'm not saying this because you're my friend like genuinely i'm having a blast reading it
0: no i appreciate that man thank you, you
2: no know, so everybody go and buy it but then when you're done also buy my book you can find it on amazon it's called the perception wars <laughs> but you know buy buy jacks first
1: <laughs> buy them together it's amazon yeah you can get a, you can get a bundle deal
2: they'll, come, a they'll bundle. come in two days
1: exactly
2: exactly <laughs> but, hey, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Alex. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, guys.
1: I mean, at this point, <laughs> wrapping it up, it's just doing the reads and getting out of here.
0: <laughs> How do you follow that up? You don't. How do you follow that? We went from existential nihilism to evolutionary biology to UFOs, extraterrestrials, Dyson spheres. <laughs> Even if,
1: And then Endgame. Even if you wanted to recap it, you you could... Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't do it justice. You really just, I mean, if if you're a fan of this podcast, if you just started here, that's a weird thing to do. I think you guys have had more than enough entertainment. So I, I literally have nothing to say outside of the reads unless you have something. No, no, that's it. Okay. With that, ahem, be sure to check out crate club. It's a club for men by men of gear hand-picked by special operations veterans. All tier crates are available at crateclub.us. And right now, we are running an extremely limited promotion of 20% off for all SoftRep radio listeners. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long this promotion will last. So get on it right now. That's crateclub.us. The coupon code is SoftRep, S-O-R-F-E-P. It gives you 20% off your subscription for all crates. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder to you, the listeners, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show, Training Cell, follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already signed up at thenewsrep.com, you got to get on board. There's expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers you've heard, like Jack Murphy, Stavros, Alex. I, hope, I mean, I hope his writing's not as long as <laughs> he is vocally. Uh, and there's many other guests who pop in as well. There's unlimited access to NewsRep on any device, unlimited access to the app. Join the War Room community. Invitations to our exclusive events, and it's all ad-free for members. There's a trial offer going on right now where you get four weeks for only $1.99. Four weeks for $1.99, 50 cents a week. Sign up now at newsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. By the way, if you're not aware, we do have our own SoftRep Radio app that you can download for free on your iPhone or Android, and our homepage is softrepradio.com, where you can see all our full archive of shows. As always, keep up with us at SoftRep Radio as well. With that, literally there's nothing else need to be said. We can... (laughs) Uh, I do want to apologize in advance. Um, he cut out, Alex cut out a little bit throughout the duration, like about halfway through that is unavoidable edit wise. So previous shows that I've worked on, they'll chirp me. Hey, what, you know, what happened here? That's unavoidable. That is just part of, of radio magic. So please do not think that I'm doing a poor job outside of that. Do you want to reveal who will be here Tuesday
0: Oh, yeah. Good call. Um, so I've been trying to get this gentleman on for a little while, um, and we had some scheduling conflicts and things like that we had to work out. But we will have our next episode. We'll have the author Ben Blum on. Uh, and Ben is, wrote a book called Ranger Games. So if you guys want to get a little ahead of the power curve, you can go ahead and get his book on Amazon right now. With Murphy's with Law. With Murphy's And, Law, and Alex's and book. And the Perception Wars. You Make get it a trio. Get, get the bundle deal. Um, I, I read his book Ranger Games. Uh, it's very good. It's um, what the what the book is about is the author's cousin was one of uh, uh, several rangers, Army rangers, who robbed a bank in Tacoma um, a while back. And Ben's book breaks down. It, it, it breaks down a lot of things. It's not so much a whodunit because it's pretty clear you know who did it who did it um well and and law enforcement figured it out pretty quick so that that part of it goes down fairly quickly although he does examine what happened the day of the bank robbery and how it all went down but the book primarily it's about 400 pages and it really explores the question of why like why did these guys who are elite soldiers commit this crime um and we will get into it and i will definitely we will have a very interesting conversation with ben about his book sure. and about you know his family and his process of going through writing this book and and all the ins and outs of it so i'm very excited to talk to him
1: all right and with that uh thank you guys for listening be sure to leave reviews subscribe to the channel i mean if you already aren't you should be alex was incredible that this um, i'm mentally drained there was so much
0: I know. I just I just wish we had, like, more source citations to inject into it because we, we like, went all over the place on so many things.
1: Uh, but with that, thank you guys for listening, as always, and uh, be sure to tune in Tuesday for uh, – and Blum.
0: Awesome. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.